Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dead City Drive-In, the only podcast that knows the scariest monsters come from your own fucking family. I'm Brandon Windish. And I'm Chris Holkin. And we are the heads of programming in this here Dead City. And in this episode, decreed by the higher-ups. Our bosses. The Drive-In Gods, we have been tasked once again to perform a specially themed double bill for the ravenous hordes of mutants and madmen outside our projection room door. You gonna perform for us, Chris? I'm gonna dance on this tabletop (laughs) like you boys have never seen. And I've seen it. I don't accept small bills. Hey, Chris, let me ask you a question. Um, Ask away. And this is a little bit of a personal question, but what is your family dynamic? Are your parents still together? Yes, surprisingly they are. How long have they been married for? Uh, Let's see, since 74? Wow, so almost almost as long as Jaws has existed. Yes, almost. Wow, not bad, not bad. Okay. Almost as long as you've existed. Almost as long (laughs) as I've existed, yeah. Um. What do you think about uh, what, what kind of dynamic do you have with your your parents, Chris? I you, to be, I'm actually embarrassed to say this because we are friends. Mm-hmm. I've never met your parents that I that I can recall. I don't think I've never met them. Yeah, well, they live in a different town. So, I know, I know, know, but like I've never, I have no idea. So I have no idea what your. I've heard some stories here and there, but I have no real true understanding of what your dynamic is like with your with your mother and father yeah well i mean i don't, i honestly don't really know how to answer that question i, I know mean, it's kind know. of a loaded question no, but... i don't know i mean you know yeah my mom and dad are still together and everything um are you, you close know. with your parents um you know we talk at least once a week yeah yeah so did you have um, a good did you have a good like growing up together childhood like do you feel that you're not an only child no i have a sister i have a younger sister who's three years younger than i am okay so you guys were able to you know fight the storm to weather the storm together uh, yeah somewhat you know i mean there was definitely you know some kind of bumps in the road you know along the way uh there's some interesting stories that i can tell outside of the drive in um but yeah no i mean my my family's still together or my parents are still together and everything um it's rather disgusting because you know they say hey you want to watch us have oral sex and i'm like ah <laughs> and then my mom looks at my dad and says fuck you and then my dad looks back at my mom and says fuck you and then i'm like oh okay that that was clever well that explains a lot <laughs> yeah. and you know the what thing- sums it up in a <laughs> nutshell right there but you know, it's funny because i've realized as i've gotten older and i've started like kind of looking a little more inward um that a lot of where I come from and where my brain kind of manifests or exists stems from my relationship with my family, my mm-hmm. parents specifically, and not ju- just my relationship with them, which I consider my relationship with my mom and my father to be excellent. Um, my, I'm very close with both of them. But I have realized that a lot of who I am has to do with the, fi- the family dynamic that was um, created in my childhood my parents divorced they, they married when i was after i was born 
Hmm. And then they divorced not too long afterwards. However, they made an agreement with each other, which was that we will not intentionally allow our separation to traumatize our child. I'm an only child. So they had to, they made an agreement with each other to never say, you don't get to see my kid. We we got to share custody. Yeah. So it was a, in, in some ways, a fortunate experience, but it's incredible when I think back because all of my issues stem from the trauma of divorce and yeah. what that kind of did to me. I've realized as I've gotten older that that's what it is. Not to blame my parents in any way, shape, or form, but I, as an only child, found myself hiding from the wor- the trauma that was created despite their best intentions in genre films, in horror movies in particular. It was a great escape for me. Yeah. Well, because- I mean, I can go back to the, you know, we've talked about this on this before too, but I grew up in a funeral home. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and it was a family business, you know, uh, very, very odd hours. You know, it's like being a funeral director, you have to kind of be on call because people pick the most inconvenient times to die. <laughs> it's always yeah, exactly. Death is so the ultimate true. It was, it was so not true. unheard of for my parents to pack me up and my little sister up in a car and then have to go to work at, you know, one o'clock in the morning and granted, you know, there was a bed at work because my dad's office, his funeral home, was an old mansion that had been converted into a funeral home. Hmm. So um, they actually had uh, an employee and his wife that actually lived on the property because the whole upstairs, you know, was a big suite of rooms and everything. Um, you know, there was another kind of apartment on the backside and everything. And all the other spaces had been converted into either office space or prep room or viewing spaces there was a chapel there and everything. Um, so a lot of my time was spent in that environment, you know, with both my parents, too, because my mom would kind of work like as a secretary for my dad and everything and sometimes would do, you know, makeup and everything for the bodies and, and everything. It's so, just the plot of that movie with Anna Chlumsky. Uh, yeah, except, you know, she didn't have both her parents. She just had Dan Aykroyd. Right, right. That's right. Okay. But Chris often used to cry to his parents. <laughs> Where are his glasses? Yes, exactly. You know, every every body that came through, he would say he needs his glasses. Bee stings, you know that kind of thing. Always, and, always, and no kind of Tony Todd arrangement with these bee stings. Man. <laughs> okay, so oh well, since you've asked me that question, we've got another person in here that uh, we could kind of ask and say, hey. Our guest programmer this evening. I was going to say three fifths of a person, but you got you can't leave that in. That would be- well, let's 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 compromise <laughs> oh and say something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, no, but actually, it, it is a a guest. Uh, I guess you're going to be part of the three timers club now, right? Ooh, uh, Although we have to say, well, like one of the episodes was unreleased. Yes, yeah, unreleased. You, you, yeah, that's right. That's for the people but who get from the special the edition. Very beginning from the start, the beginning of Dead City Drive Inception. We have. Uh, I'm a very Christopher. Special Nolan guest here of yeah. guests. There we go. <laughs> Roscoe Lee Brown, aka our good friend Rob Lee. Welcome yeah. to the show, my friend. Welcome yes. back. Thank you. It's I been a long time, be dude. It has. Uh, Rob, what was your fucking childhood mm. like? How fucked up are you because of your family? <laughs> Actually, uh, both my parents uh, they stayed together for almost all of my life. It was uh, it was a good time. Um, we lived in the suburbs. Uh, I did have a brother and sister, but they're like. Eight and eleven years younger than me. It's 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 so I pretty much was an only child for most of it. Um, oh, you know what though? I was a latchkey kid. 
Okay, right, sure, sure. And and mom worked nights uh, as a med tech, so there was a lot of um, Rob alone time, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what fucked with me a little bit. Yeah, uh, it, it was a good fucking. You know, I, I didn't mind. It was a solo fucking. It, it was. It was. And I, and there was a lot of solo fucking. I mean, it, child children of the 80s got away with things that these millennials uh, just, they, they, there's no way you could understand Little what it bastards. was like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was good. It was good. And, and um and because I think I had a, I had a, a a good family life, there my my parents were fairly strict though, and very religious. So there were a lot of things that I did not get to do when I was younger. Oh, ah, yes, and see okay. that's why it <laughs> that came around. Now so that I am it's, now just it's a glut. Well, Finally, Rob has gotten to have the sex. Oh, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. But well, but it's it's funny because there's something I probably for each one of us here, and probably for everybody that's listening, there's some. The constant question is. Why are we drawn toward this the kind thing, of this genre, stuff. this kind of stuff? And uh, a lo- I, I, like, I can't help but think that it is based in some form of escapism. Yes, and it doesn't have to be divorce and separation no. that causes that. It can be a, n- a number of things. There was family trauma, but it was not as deep as some others. And and I and I recognize that. I am definitely a child of privilege, but I, I was also a child of a lot of strict upbringing, a lot of, of repression, a lot of you're not allowed. Uh, you know, when my parents, uh, they basically were uh, very fundamentalists, so um, I got He-Man taken away from me, you know, when I was five years old. All my He-Man toys were suddenly verboten. Hmm. So, you know what I mean? That, yeah. that, that, that is that traumatic, sucks. right? Yeah. How can you? How can you be a boy in the '80s and not be allowed to play with He-Man toys? I mean, that's, I, I, that's probably why I'm less of a man than. Uh, actually, that's not true. I'm more of a man because I overcompensate because I wasn't allowed to play with He-Man. There, there you go. go. There yeah. you go. So, see, yeah. we figured it out. Yep, you don't have to see it. your shrink this week. Exactly. In fact, I'm canceling my plan <laughs> right now. Wonderful <laughs> service provided by Dead City Drive. The reason I'm bringing all this up, not to get super personal with everybody here, not to delve into all your shit, but I want to say that all of these movies that we want to talk about tonight have some kind of fucked up family dynamic, and it's a fascinating through line through all three really, really, really weird features. I noticed this. Yes. And I'm excited to talk about it, but Rob, you brought a movie that you feel needs to be seen by the masses on a double bill drive-in movie screen. What movie is that? It is David Cronenberg's The Brood. They come from the unknown, and they're here now, hiding, waiting to strike. You can feel their presence all around you. Never before have you come this close to the edge of terror. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Are you ready for me, Frank? I seem to be a very special person now. I'm in the middle of a strange adventure. I want to go with you wherever you go. 
to you? Yes. Then look! The Brood. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, The Brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror. Starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Egar. The Brood. They're waiting for you. 1979. Written and directed by David Cronenberg. Starring Oliver Reed, Samantha Egar, and Art Hindle. Ooh, I lo- God damn, I love Art Hindle. Mm-hmm, right? We're watching it. Art Hindle shows up. Carrie goes, hey! My I wife Carrie. Hey! Black Christmas! <laughs> And then she goes, how come every movie he wears awesome coats? Here's, here's the thing. That, when this I, is what she notices. Art Hindle was literally channeling Bill Bixby from every episode of The Incredible Hulk at the same time. And so the much, courtship of Eddie's father, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So much more charming than Bill Bixby, though. Yeah, well, you know, I have a soft spot do for you, I, I, I hear do. you. I, I just do. I love me some art. No, I, who doesn't? It's either him or Garfunkel. Um, <laughs> or Picasso. <laughs> a man tries to uncover an unconventional psychologist's therapy techniques on his institutionalized wife, while a series of brutal attacks committed by a brood of mutant children seem to be closing in. I stumbled nice. a bit, but it's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it's about. Well, let me ask you this, dude, before we even really delve into too much about this movie. Yeah. Cronenberg has kind of had a really interesting kind of like nerd surgeons recently. Well, that's because, in part, uh, we have a new Cronenberg movie that is gracing our cinemas right now. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? No, I have not. Oh, okay. It's, Crimes um, it the, is Crimes of the Future. Yes. N- David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, not to be confused with, with David, David Cronenberg's Crimes, Crimes of the Future. future. Right. Absolutely. Which His I believe second movie? is included on the Blu-ray of The Brood. Am it, I right it, about it, that? It possibly is, but I do not have the Blu-ray. Okay. Of the, I, I'm, I a, I'm a DVD guy. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I, I still have actually back. my copy on VHS. I, I, hold on. Um, listen, all of my movies are Criterion <laughs> Collection. Thank you very much. On DVD. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just love, I love that there's like, there, the elitism tends to be like, I'm a streaming guy. And I'm a physical media guy. You you drew I'm, the line. You're like a, DVD guy. DVD. <laughs> Digital. Hey, but, the vast majority of my movies. I mean, I've got over a thousand movies on Blu-ray and DVD, yeah, and do. most of my stuff is still DVD. Well, and I mean, those Criterion collections. That, you know, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, Criterion Collection Robocop is definitive. Mm-hmm. You, you can't go wrong with it. Yeah. But I also think that Naked I, Lunch I, as well. I've, I've noticed a resurgence of David Cronenberg. VHS. Because of the film or the TV series Rick and Morty, which brought yes, the, the term, David Cronenberg episode, yeah, yes, Cronenberg absolutely. into a different lexicon for people, right. and I think it opened up. So now it's weird because I hear, uh, sorry, the, people the who are no, that's well, okay, um, but I hear like people posers talking about David Cronenberg. Yeah, like you look at that Cronenberg. Yeah. Don't forget yeah. too that he's actually a recurring character on the flagship show for Paramount Plus, Star Trek Discovery. David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg David has a recurring role Star Trek on Star Trek Discovery. Not since that. Nightbreed has David Cronenberg <laughs> looked so perplexed on camera. 
Actually, he looks really fucking old. <laughs> Not since Jason David X. David Cronenberg is like 90, dude. I yeah. mean, give a guy a break. David Cronenberg has the best hair in the business. David Cronenberg has a... Ama- you know what? Okay, Next to the so other David, David Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah. Uh, so, so the directors, David Lynch, David Fincher, David Cronenberg. All good hair? Um, Don't tell Fincher. David Fincher? No. Does Fincher still yeah. have hair? No. Yeah, okay. listen, listen, we can't all get... He doesn't need it. can't go through for the... Yeah. He looks good. Fincher yes. looks good. Fincher the hair on his man. balls, I'm yeah. sure, is like just spectacular. <laughs> but anyway, I've noticed... So there's a, there's a yeah. new thing, and you know... He's, he's back in a big way. The notion... And you, know what's, you know what's really funny, too? I'll tell you why, why else David Cronenberg is, is, um, is really big now, is David Cronenberg cast Robert Pattinson in Cosmopolis, which set up the Batman. Yeah, because I don't think no one saw knew. Cosmopolis, no, no, what I saw Cosmopolis, do, yeah. and I'm going to tell you what the casting director of the Batman saw Cosmopolis. I've seen the trailer for Cosmopolis. I will tell you what happened <laughs> is that they saw that movie like I did and said that young man is Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I, I get it. I totally yeah. get it. Absolutely. But the, what's fascinating is what Cronenberg is most linked to the Fly. No, body, no, body horror, body right? Yeah. Body, yes, horror, body and, horror, and which and I, it feels a little reductive. But he it, really it's totally did. reductive. He, but he 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 essentially defined the genre, yeah, and he positioned and himself he in that niche. Completely very got early away on. from yeah. it. Like his biggest movies, the biggest movie that he's known for uh, among people is History of Violence. Got to be. Academy Award winning film. Academy Award winning Viggo Mortensen. Um, and, and then uh, he followed that up with um, Spider? I think Spider no, was, was before. Uh, I was think it was, was he, right before. But, but he did Eastern Promises. Eastern Promises, yeah. yeah. Eastern yeah. Promises right. was Viggo next. Mortensen, yeah. Okay. yeah. Which was also Viggo Mortensen. Spider was after Existence. Okay. And then right yeah. before um, and, what you and, just said, the s- movie you just said. That, what, Eastern uh, History, Promises. History of no, Violence. History of Violence. Violence. Yeah. Okay. Um, Got to get our filmography, you know. Well, you know what's really out. funny is, is that Existence was almost sort of his last body mod horror before he started doing straight films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then he, I think he wrapped his straight films up with Cosmopolis, which is this, as straight as it comes before he Map of the, Star. Map of the Stars. Oh, Map of the Stars. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yep, yeah. yep. 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 This body horror thing that he started. Okay, I don't know if people incidentally know this. we missed. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. A dangerous method. Which was was also Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> Forgot all about that. Well, that's movie. where he plays yeah. Freud, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. David Cronenberg is your Huckleberry. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Like, I don't. You know, his first movies were produced by the late great Ivan, Ivan Reitman. Reitman. Yeah. And you know, I think that's incredible. Like, but his first movies being not not counting his short films and not ca- counting the like weird. Uh, uh, motorcycle movie that I think he made no, that nobody watched. Yeah, uh, he started off with Shivers. Yes, which actually was a, my initial choice for a Pod People movie Ooh. from the unheard Dead City Drive-In, but I ended up going with um, the, the the essentially the remake of it. Wait, what did you? I forget. I already forget. It was so long ago. It, it's um, it's the one with um, uh, Nathan Fillion and um, oh, uh, Slither. Slither. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, he does shivers, aka they came from within, which is a title he notoriously hated, and I don't blame him. But I believe the Brood was the next. Well, I think one. they call it Frissons in in Canada. Do they? Yeah. Well, they don't call that. Here, well, that's because we speak English in this country, and when you have we're not a bunch of do weirdos, we, French do we, Canadians that call it frissons, which means the same thing, shivers. Does it? Yeah. Mm. So, Rob, why did you pick the brood? Uh, well, 
do you want the long story or the short story? Well, uh, uh, when I was in seventh grade, yes. I came across a book. It was uh, Peter Nichols' Fantastic Films. In, in yes, right. absolutely. And at the, the time, I think you the, probably have it. Uh, I'm yeah, sure. Actually, yeah, I, I, I believe you do. I think I think I, I think I discovered it in like 1990, maybe 91. Um, at that time. Um, I think the book came out in 84, so there were a number of films that Cronenberg is now known for that he had not done, including as Existence, but uh, I think Fly was in it. Um, oh, I know what was definitely in it, Videodrome. Yes. Yeah. And and they were, there were scenes from this movie, uh, Videodrome, and also Scanners, mm-hmm. and I was just amazed at the, the practical effects and the descriptions of what was happening in these films. Not only was it uh, cerebral, but it was also incredibly terrifying i was at uh at, as a youth absolutely horrified of body horror um one of my biggest fears was uh, michael jackson's thriller when michael jackson turns into the werewolf and like and then at the end of the video where he turns to the and he's got the eyes that yeah no no <laughs> that terrified absolutely terrified me um american werewolf in london <laughs> all the peter uh what is it um Rick um, Baker. Rick Baker, yes. Yeah. All the Rick Baker stuff, that shit was absolutely horrifying. Transformations to me. in general and I think, yes, disturbed you. Yes, 1000%. And I think that, that since we're talking about therapy, um, I think getting into Cronenberg was probably therapy for that fear. Uh, I remember just seeing the commercials of The Fly when it came out. Oh, and hell being, yeah, dude. I was On the fucking pay-per-view horrified. channel, I used to just watch those trailers over and over. Yeah. And, and to this yeah. day, I can play the trailer for The Fly in my and, mind. And there's there was always was something different about the um, Be afraid. Be very, be very afraid. Yeah, I was I was afraid. Um, but I was afraid of everything. I, I I would go into the video store because, in part, because I wasn't allowed to watch horror films, uh, or I was. They were in the periphery because my aunt All you loved had horror. Were the cover boxes. But it, that's exactly it. I'd yeah. go to the video store. I was I was scared of Pumpkinhead for decades, and when I finally saw it, I was like, really? That's but, <laughs> but I get it. Yeah, but yeah. As a child, and as a, a child, you know, as a, as a preteen, like that shit was was terrifying and so i think that that like like i said uh, getting into cronenberg um was part of the therapy of that and well the reason why i brought brought cronenberg up uh for this is uh like i said i I found peter's nichols book i was fascinated by cronenberg um and then because of the resurgence of cronenberg because of uh the new movie which is if you which you need to see um that's what that's why i thought you know what i'm gonna bring it back i'm gonna take it back to our roots and uh i went with uh with the brood it's interesting that you talk about like um therapy because of all the cronenberg i think every movie he's ever made is obviously like not, maybe not obviously, a dangerous but it's, method. It's, it's saying something about something right but the brood is a movie that it's literally <sighs> someone paid for cronenberg's yeah. psychiatric session gonna... about his divorce yeah. david david cronenberg's the brood is almost identical to David Lynch's Eraserhead. It's like, this is dude processing the shit that he's dealing now, with. Now, is that accurate? I don't know if I'm, it, uh, Eraser David Head, Lynch doing similar I, things. It like, ha- he has to Because I like, know for a fact that <clears throat> Cronenberg had had a very nasty divorce. Contentious. Yeah. And contentious and all about custody battles. And when you watch The Brute, it, I mean, it's, it's, it it's not subtle. I, it's, there's literally lines, I minute. will kill her before yes. i let you take yes. her from me talking about their daughter like yes. it's 
Very, Medea. and then of course it goes into I you know I don't want to spoil t- everything here, but it goes into fantasy land of what it this man wishes he could does. do to his ex wife. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you know by the end of the movie, which is a very very Tarantino. Yeah, but also <laughs> Without, but, but saying too much. But honestly, I think it's a little more honest than Tarantino because Tarantino. Oh, absolutely. I meant just physically Tarantino. Tarantino, who who I think is a wonderful filmmaker is coming from a place of admiration from those guys. Oh, Whereas Cronenberg, I really think, in the Brutus, working it. some shit He's out here. exercising the demons. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but no, I, I, I absolutely do think that Lynch was exercising demons with Eraserhead. And if you go back and watch Eraserhead, it's... it's oh, I believe... Yeah. Well, I, we won't get into Eraserhead too much. But yeah, I, yeah, let, yeah. so... Hey, look, in heaven, everything is fine. Next drive-in. Tell me what's so great about the brood, dude. Why do you love this thing? <sighs> Why? Why don't I love this? And, I, oh, okay. and, and also, okay. sub question. Actually, you know what? Let me ask you this first before you answer okay. that. Where does this fall in your Cronenbergology? Honestly, uh, in my Cronenbergology, it's 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 more of a respect film. It's more of a this is this is where the guy kind of got started. And I know that Shivers is really sort of the the start of it, but. This is where you start to recognize right. Cronenberg as Cronenberg. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's Absolutely. got a voice. He has a vision. And, it's and, clear and that the, he's up the, to something. The practical effects that he uses, the it's first of all, without saying too much. No, the, look, the, we can the talk scene, spoilers. Yeah, the scene at the end, the the big reveal of the of the pra- practical effect at the end still holds up. Yeah. To yeah. this day. I mean, and yeah, and it's, and, it's and very it strong. Sets the, it sets the mood for what would become the genre of body horror, well in advance of anything else that I can think of off the top of my head um, from the period. Yeah, it's I I always look at this movie as divorce Cronenberg style. <laughs> And then, it is it is the anti Kramer versus Kramer. It really is. It's, it's, and you know, he actually well, said, I read something about where he said, like, I saw Kramer versus Kramer. Yes, it was the first movie about that had come out that was about divorce, divorce and separation right. and child custody, and he, he said, found it not, so false. Right, and that's not my experience. Yeah, and, let me show you what it really is. Yeah, fuckers. I, when I was watching this after you selected this, I. I was obsessing on the idea that a man would obsess over that statement like Kramer versus Kramer is bullshit. I'm going to make a movie that is what divorce feels like. And he, and he, he did it just like Samantha Eggar does. He willed it into existence in this state of spite and anger and hatred, not just for his ex-wife, but like for the false, narrative that is presented in these Hollywoodized divorce films and all this, it's kind of incredible to go into the movie thinking and knowing that. It informs a lot, and it fills in the blanks on some of the awkward early things of filmmaking that he was still learning. There's also like a a very naked powerlessness um, that the character has in in the entire situation. I'm I'm also kind of reminded, and I I hate to do this, but I'm going to probably be doing it all night. Um, Referencing a film with another film, but uh, the the David Lynch's analog in um, uh, Mulholland Drive, um, Justin Theroux, mm-hmm. is the same sort of powerlessness in the beginning of the film, and that's what you see with this this protagonist in The Brood. He has no control over the situation, and at any point in this situation, he's he's a step behind. And and that vulnerability is is definitely what Cronenberg was feeling. But he has an agency, right? And again, oh, I, I want to parallel he, this because ahead. in in um, 
uh, he's an Art Hindle is who we're talking mm-hmm. about as the as the lead protagonist of the film. I guess you could say third build. Yeah, third. But build, he's basically but he the lead. Is, well, let me lead. tell you, Oliver Reed. Let, oh well, I want to get into Oliver Reed because it's worth okay. But, but but yeah, go ahead. But what's fascinating, like Art Hindle plays a vi- okay. Here's my fantasy. Art Hindle has a very small role in one of my favorite films of all time, and I know one of yours too, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, he plays the boyfriend of the first girl who gets killed, and he throughout the movie, Olivia Hussey shows up and she's like, "Hey, your girlfriend's missing," and he's like, "Hey, what the fuck?" He spends the rest of the film helping out, trying to find, and he's like this. Um, he has such agency in the film. He goes to the police and he's like, "Listen, you guys aren't doing a good job." He, so my my weird fantasy is that he's playing the same character from Black Christmas, grown <laughs> up, gets married, and has this, and has this situation. Because he does the same thing in the movie. He, he He's like, okay, this isn't good enough for me. I'm going to go s- try to get to the bottom of this shit. This Correct. isn't good enough for my kid. Right. That, excuse me. Yes, you're right. This is not, because he's always operating as what is best for, for my child. kid, for the child. Yeah. Which is an incredible... And it's well, also... But I'm sorry, Rob. Well, that, it's also no, no, another it's thing where you're kind of like... You can see that Cronenberg's a little blindsided by his emotions, yes. too, where he's like, my wife, ex-wife, is all everything she thinks right. is wrong. And here, here's the... And, and this is kind of the... the I guess the the hard part about the film is, is that it is nakedly clear that the wife is is insane. There is never a moment in this film where she uh, is not looking out for the best interests of, of the child. And I know that for Cronenberg, what this is is him dealing with the fact that, like, I love my kid. Why is it there this automatic assumption that the mother is sort of the the nurturer? The mother is. Uh, it's, no, it's, 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 it's hard because well, no, but, I mean, in a, the law, in a law, no, they say I, it then. It, it is. It's, it's difficult in, in today's world to, to, to deal with I that. I think it was difficult in that world, I am too, sure it was. I'm and sure that's it was. what I love. I mean, that's such Canada of the statement. 70s, but the truth yeah. is, is that the law, even in America, to this day, favors the mother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult watch. It's a difficult process. Um for for a lot of those reasons, um, and I, I just want to say, as the child of divorce, I can tell you what you just said, Chris, is absolutely accurate. Um, they it's a default. They're, they defaulted mm-hmm. to the the mother, and it was it's it's fascinating to think. And now, what's incredible, like in my situation, was my parents they worked really hard to to prove that concept wrong. And I feel like right. what I something that I actually was very attracted to with the brood is. That same notion the, the that well, there's father. an interesting there's an interesting question that's being posed here. If you distill it down, because the law always views men as predatory. I mean, th- that's kind of the way it is, especially in these types of cases where you're dealing with divorce and stuff like that. Men are seen as predatory. You know, you don't get the same kind of consideration if you have a bunch of women that are sitting around watching kids at a playground. Nobody thinks anything of it. Right. You have a man sitting in that setting. People are going to start to kind of think for a second, you know, what's this right. guy doing here? You know, uh, male teachers, especially in elementary yeah. school, you know, sometimes people will look at a male teacher a little bit differently than mm. they will a female teacher because there's certain gender roles that have been kind of assigned and that throughout societies, you know, 
development and everything. We've kind of come to accept these things without even really thinking about it. And Cronenberg's movie really kind of asks this question. What happens when the mother is predatory? Right. Right. And the answer is, well, well, yeah, I can't spoil the movie. Well, the answer is, <laughs> let me holy tell fuck. you, yeah, Cronenberg. <laughs> the answer is Cronenberg. The, the answer is Rick and Morty <laughs> season three. That's what I mean. Um, all right, let's talk about. So we got a little deep there, and that's fine. Um, arguably, let's talk about some of the fucking crazy shit that's in this movie because oh, okay. it's where, got where some. Do you want to start? The the hair lip alien navalist children. Do we want to start there? With the do, yolk sacks? <laughs> yeah. So do, do, we, do we want to talk about Why the, did it die? It ran out of energy. Do we want to talk about the... Uh, it's, it's fuel tank was empty. The yeah. prototype obvious inspiration for the <laughs> poltergeist girl... Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, that's, right? Heather O'Rourke. That's the thing. Wow. I was watching. Jamie comes yeah. walking and she goes, what, is it supposed to be like Poltergeist? Is that like, Carol no, Ann? Try the other way around. Well, actually, her name is Candy, but okay. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I'm, I know, Chris, you're out on this one, but I, there's a, a, a Tim and Eric Chris, uh, Crimbus special. Have you ever seen this? No, you ever? I okay. seen this. There's a character on the show. It's like a, they have a little person play it, and his name is DV, the DVD monster. And he's the makeup behind that character. is exactly the makeup of the brood. And it's this guy's <laughs> oh, like, hey, oh. does he wear the little snowsuit too? <laughs> um, he's, well, it's Canada. Uh, he's completely furry and he wears DVD DVDs as belts. But the face, the makeup is Identical. exactly the same. Yes. For me, <sighs> unfortunately, like throughout the whole movie, you're looking think about this ah, DV, yeah, this no, character. Too- but the first appearance. Of, of the, the of thing, the brood. Yes. When it does that, uh, when it the, is, the, the, the stairs, and it yeah. yes, the stairs. yes, absolutely. That's Maybe a great moment. Stains yeah. left on the. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, th- Go ahead. No, no. There's there's a lot of um, horror element that that sets up other horror movies that will keep coming back and referencing uh, from uh, Exorcist. Um. um with the, with the stair scene, was that? That's a, yeah. Exorcist, where she does the crab walk down. Right, right, right. Well, it was a deleted scene, but yeah, right. right. Yeah. I, I think that that owes to that. Well, the brood's later. The brood's after the Exorcist. Was Exorcist seventy seven? Seventy three. Seventy three. Okay, yeah. never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the 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 for me, I was like, I think I just watched this movie about a year ago, so I was happy to revisit it. And but like. Watching it this time, I had a different. I, I was watching it from a a less selfish standpoint, right? Like I was watching it for a, like more from an audience standpoint. Correct. That's what I was trying to do, and I. Uh, it was incredible because it's the first, maybe honestly, twenty thirty minutes of the movie are there. It's a very slow. Burn. No horror at, at all, all. No, other than a- the horror of of separation, but. Once it kicks in, some of those those moments start getting really like almost exploitationy oh, vibes. Yeah, brutal, absolutely man. Uh, brutal. So uh, the I don't know if you saw Scanners. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of this sort of the slow, almost network style buildup of Scanners. Yeah. Ah, uh, and what are you talking about Scanners? Like in the first ten minutes, you have an exploding head. It's actually not the ten, it's, first ten minutes. It's, it's more like twenty minutes in. 
and it, it's kind of a slog to get to that point. Right. And it's, then there's nothing there's, really it's, it's happens. Almost like, it's almost like network, like, like it's, it's about news. Yeah. Then the head explodes, and then it's news again. Well, it's mm. like a, it becomes like a, an, an like, espionage thriller for a while, like a high-tech espionage thriller. Anyway, but so Scanners is a movie that gets a lot of kind of acclaim as well. I am left extremely cold on Scan. I, the, I, I'm like the weirdo who thinks Scanners Two is a better film. Really? So I just it doesn't. It's it's too cold. It's the too takeover? slow. Yeah. Uh, I, I there's I, a lot of talking in their hands and not it? a whole lot going on yeah. for me. For me, it, but like but, the Brood, I was fascinated by kind of everything that's set up. Now I I laughed at a lot of the, the melodrama about a, a lot of the psychology. The uh, the like daddy daddy why'd you abandon me yeah. and like i'm kind of going but the thing is is these actors are so committed to it they are absolutely committed to it. well also it's a product of its time though too you got to think about it because everything that's floating around in the news in 1979 primal scream therapy oh, yeah. is a big Huge. deal at this point so this idea of remaking psychoplasmatic self you know self-help and everything and, yeah. and you know this was very very much in the cultural zeitgeist yeah. of the time for sure for sure so i mean it, it would not be out of place in an audience of 1979 to kind of look at this we kind of look oh. at it now and it's a little hokey because everything's so frigging derivative yeah but it's also a- uh, can you is, is there a moment in the film that you do not believe oliver reed Oh, yeah, uh, that's no. what we should do. We should get into because, all right, that scene, Oliver Reed, I know, Chris, you're an Oliver Reed. I am a huge Oliver Reed fan. And he's wonderful. He's thoroughly inhabiting that character. Yeah, I always, is he, and he's he, one he, he, you he, could he, play drunk or not oh, with. Oh, definitely. No, oh, most definitely. I don't feel like he was, if he was drunk in this movie, he's. Do you, have you never heard the story about Oliver Reed on this movie? Wait, is this, hold on, is this the one where he disappeared? Got naked on set. Yes. Okay, can okay. you tell the story? Well, the story is is that like during a break from shooting, do you know this, Rob? Oliver no. Reed okay. was in a bar, and Oliver Reed actually did kind of disappear from filming because he was he was arrested. Now, the reason he was arrested is that while he was in this bar, he made a bet with one of the other guys in the bar <laughs> that he couldn't walk naked from that bar to the next bar, you know, a f- couple streets over and everything. And it's, of course, it's a Cronenberg film, which means that Cronenberg, who's a Canadian filmmaker and loves to shoot his movies in the dead of fucking winter. Yeah. You look at Cronenberg and I mean, I always thought, you know, Cronenberg's kind of a cold filmmaker. You know, there's just this kind of cold feeling. Part of it is the fact that he always films his movies in the dead of fucking winter. There's always breath coming out of everybody's nose. Oliver Reed strips off all of his clothes and goes walking out into this cold Canadian night. Shrinkage in Canada, where is not he a joke. is arrested by Canadian police, but they're mounties. But well, I don't know if it was RCMP. Okay. It may have been, you know, Toronto or some shit. You know, Toronto cops. But anywho, he was definitely arrested and, uh, you know, kind of put in in the drunk take. I'm sure because he was wandering through Canadian streets in in the, the nude. Now, if we could figure out what point of the filming that was and you could wa- rewatch I'll the movie tell you what part of the filming was. what part was it ne- the next day he shows up on set mm. to shoot this scene that we're currently wa- I wonder what that would have been it was the scene where uh where in the bathroom he- <laughs> 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 I was going to say it was the scene that he uh, he he became the daddy yeah uh, right at the okay so 
All right, Rob. Let, let's talk let's talk me. about a couple more um, of the of the of the crazy right, so, Cronenberg so, shit that we get in this movie. So so he starts small. Uh, the first scene is the is the the wounds, and and, and first you think it's kind of hokey because they just look like marks, and then. The camera cuts to the face of Art Hindle, who's like rolling the eyes, like this yeah. is some bullshit. And when it comes back, they're, they're, the the wounds have turned into these scabby, horrifying like limbs. And 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 the practical effects are amazing because you're absolutely convinced that these scabby, fleshy little nodules all over this person are 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 legitimate. Um, and and then it goes from there until like you actually see the blitz of the little hair lip creature um there's a subtle build-up all the way through until you get to the final and i think that 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 build is absolutely phenomenal i agree i also want to say the 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 scene of the movie that uh, uh, so what you're saying about the slow build the last 15 minutes of the movie like actively crescendo Yes. Like it gets to a It's point. like a hockey stick too. The yeah. tension yeah. is amazing. But also you're just it's like one thing after another of like what the fuck? Yeah. What the fu- Oh, yeah. what the fuck? Right. And right. by by the uh, scene I'm where, sorry, but like when the kindergarten teacher gets it No, that's what I wanted to, to well, say. That's, 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 so right. that okay. <clears throat> you you the Pure horror, dude. Chris, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I sorry. I, I you, you. Well, it is. I mean, you know, you have this scene where you've got a classroom full, full of, of children, children that are playing around, and then you have two children that you only see their backs. You, you know, know something's you, up. You know who they are because yeah. you've seen them before. Yeah. But these two children in their little snowsuits go right up to the teacher and just stand there for a while. Then she turns around and she notices. She realizes. Them. And she's like, something's not right here. And then just savagely, the two kids just go to fucking town. Beat her to death. Wailing on her. It's truly the most horrific scene in the film. And the kids are just standing around watching their teacher being murdered. So I was looking at that from a logistic point the other night when I watched this movie. Because I was going, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, only a young, angry filmmaker would shoot this, this. Because... You have to be of that mindset to go. Fuck it, these kids can deal with it. You like the because I'm watching it. and I'm like those kids are traumatized. Are, some of those kids look like they're like they're not uh, acting. Yes, <laughs> yeah, right. right. And well, it's and pretty horrific, man. Like it's when legit. we get. Let, we will talk about this when we get to your movie, sir. <laughs> okay, yeah. but I. So if that's like the most horrifying scene of the film. It continues to crescendo for me at least. It can it crescendos to absolute like it's like how do you top like something that's like that scary? It's kind of hard. So you go this route where you have a woman licking after birth off of this yeah off, the, gross the fetus, placental, this mutant uh, baby mutant. that she's just given birth and to to this day out of that like her scene. ovipositor. Well, oh. She doesn't even like give birth like you know out of her vagina or anything. She has this externalized it's ovipositor. Like oh, and by the way, yeah. it doesn't yeah. come out of it. She rips, she it, rips open. it open. Yeah, that's fucking gross. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Porn, and then licking it and. I again, which was actually Samantha Egger. She that was totally her, which is incredible. I love she it said, when an David, actor David, takes you, uh, a brave stance like you, that. Um, what if I licked this thing? <laughs> and so I'm watching this movie and and I'm like watching it with my wife, right? And Kara's and and we were both kind of laughing at another another one of her scenes where she's being really over the, the top, top, over the top in her performance. But what but I her said eyes to her, that's what I said. I was like, here's the deal. Like we we can laugh, but like 
you're getting to watch a long take of an actor working. And if to me, one of the great pleasures of film, and it's why I don't like like fast cut stuff, like the great pleasures of film and theater is watching a great performance happen and unfold in a brave and clean, unintrusive way. Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't even mean that scene. I'm, I'm talking no, but about that scene, but was that scene is great, phenomenal. But, but I just and Oliver Reed, they all have this kind of hokey diet. Not hokey is not the right word. It's I don't mean nonchalance, that, but like, really. Well, but I mean, there's like a dial. The dialogue it's a little melodramatic. It's a little heightened and weird, and 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 not really how people talk. But they're like, but, but that's chewing I think on it. Part you know? of it like is the, it's coming out perfectly and beautifully like almost right dare i say shakespearean i was gonna say that that part of it is is that's how one thought dialogue was to be written in the late 70s yeah we're still at a point before true naturalism Correct. took over I, I think you could say that really started happening and, in like 80 and yeah. I, I, what i would say is is that even though the, the the acting seems over the top the emotions are so real uh, oliver reed's emotions are real uh samantha egger's emotions at the end are real uh, despite the the trip ups of the 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 melodrama of the of the dialogue, when I, you I look agree. into her face at the end, like you said with the disgust you line, uh, it, it's it's perfectly portrayed. One of the things I also find really interesting about this movie is, I'd like so we can kind of wrap up the discussion on the brood a little bit here. Uh, there's if, because if you haven't seen it, there's a lot of fun surprises, but if if what I've been kind of realizing lately is like there's a real audience for this movie. The, the people that love this movie love this movie, and I find that very fascinating because I'm me, well. It's a timeless tale. It's a totally a timeless. <laughs> yeah, I tale. agree. I agree. Timelessly told. Honestly, of of Cronenberg films, it's not near my favorite, but it is a it's a great snapshot of the director. Becoming the director. Yes, I agree. It's a step up from his last film, and it's a movie where you go, let's, let's see, see where, where this, this voice does. goes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the it, movie still works. I mean, it doesn't it, date at all because the issues that this movie deals with are still, well, probably even more so prevalent today than they were in '79. Plus, we're still scared of mutant children. Yeah, well, I mean, right. let's, let's and also it. what Cronenberg <laughs> was very smart about was he knew how to play an audience, so he can have his psychodrama, but he puts in some things for you to watch on that screen to go, holy fuck! And you know that he has the most, I don't want to even say perverse delight, but pure delight in in watching an audience respond. Making you squirm. Because... He always loves to make your his audience. I smaller, love that he's got that like dark, playful sensibility where he's like, "Oh, and uh, now's the scene where she licks the afterbirth <laughs> off," and he's like, <laughs> "Watch out, you guys fuck around to that." I love Cronenberg for that reason, for being audacious and exploitative, but actually taking the time to have a voice. Right. Well, Rob, you brought the Brood to the table. I did. And if the Brood is a film about a man. Trying everything to save his daughter from his insane wife. (laughs) My choice is the complete opposite of that. Yes, it is. And my choice for the double feature for The Brood is 1982's Extro. Tony's father has been away a long time. Now he's coming home. (laughs) 
Extro has returned. Once a man, he is now something more than human. Indestructible, ever-changing, evil. His mission, to avenge, to possess, to destroy. Why did you come back? I came back for you. Oh, my God! Joe! Extro, bearing powers of black magic from deep space. If you think hard about something, you can make it happen. Use it when you need it. Some extraterrestrials aren't friendly. From New Line Cinema, rated R. Harry Bromley Davenport is the auteur behind this film. Although the writers, there's a lot here. We got Ian C- Cassie, Robert Smith from a story by Harry Bromley Davenport and Michael Robert Perry. Smith from The Cure? I thought the same thing. I was like, oh my God, this is literally the movie version of Disintegration. These are going to be like the alien love cats. <laughs> All right, the movie is starring a bunch of people you've never heard of except for one. Bernice Steggers, Philip Sayer, Simon Nash, Mariam Diabo, and Danny Brainin. I've heard of Mariam Diabo. Yeah, I think we all have. Yeah. Um, and that is not to discount the performances of the leads in this film. Uh, but they, I, you know. That's okay, I'll discount them for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go, guys. They are discount performances. What the fuck is Extro about? Three years after Tony's father disappears in a blinding flash of white light, he returns home to his family, not the same as when he left, and soon begins affecting his son in frightening alien ways. That means in the butt, right? Eh, Not too far off. (laughs) Oh, guys. So, uh, look. Hey. Extro... If The Brood is a classy Canadian horror film about some gross, weird shit, Extro is a trashy British-American horror film about gross, weird shit. Yeah. But it has something to say about Canadians, too, doesn't it? Does it? Uh, it that's right. Yeah. Um, look British. What does think he say? Yiddish. Think Yiddish. Yeah. yeah. Look British. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. You're welcome. That is a line that I actually legitimately loved in the film. But yeah, he or the boyfriend's supposed to be Canadian. Yes, he is, and and he's an asshole. He is an asshole, but he's also but he's also the savior. Kind of. I mean, ish. He's not as as much wrong. Let's put. uh, Although maybe. Well, I think Yiddish. Although (laughs) maybe. Maybe he is wrong. It all depends on how you view extra life. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we're gonna sympathize with the extras. Let me just say this: I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm a <laughs> you, complete as a father. I'm, you felt if I look at all the characters in this movie, the one that I have the most sympathy for, please don't, is the please fucking don't say father. Oh, no, look, tell me that. Listen, so I'm watching. I'm going to tell you why that's a bad call. Do it, but I'm going to just yeah, uh, I'm going to go off of that. Yeah, piggyback that shit. Watching the movie, what's that's... incredible because it's a very surreal film. Watching it. I I remarked, not one person in this movie acts, responds, does anything like a normal human being would ever, ever. <laughs> nobody's, and that's that's honestly probably an issue with the direction, but nobody ever does anything. Well, it's incredible, except 
for the father mm-hmm. who we don't know exactly what the agenda is, but has one and is doing at least that. All right, Rob, what what's up? Okay. <laughs> you when, look, when you're ready. When dad, this is probably too soon, but when dad tells little little boy, "Hey, don't be afraid of me." And then starts sucking on his neck. Okay. And the little orgasmic inter- exchange. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I hear you loud and clear, but I want, I want to talk about that. Okay, we'll talk about it when we'll, we'll get, get there. To I it. have it we'll on my, there. I have yes, it on my yes, list. Yes, 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 yes. First and foremost, guys, what the fuck does the title "extra" mean? <laughs> I thought it was short for "extra terrestrial." The, and it's funny because well, the tagline came out what eighty two. Same so this year is, as ET. Same year as ET. And the the exploitation driving tacky tagline was not all extraterrestrials are friendly. No. So yeah. obviously they were going for something Be that afraid. the director was not. Be very afraid. To be fair, not once in the movie is the word alien ever said. It's true. They mostly come out at night. As mostly, as George Lucas would say, they're interdimensional beings. <laughs> You do a George Lucas impression, Chris. Yeah, um, they're interdimensional beings. You sound like Kermit. (laughs) So does George Lucas. I'll be editing that into, as George Lucas would say. Um, Interdimensional beings. Thank you. (laughs) With laser swords. (laughs) Laser. And Irvin Kirshner would say Yoder. Okay. Yoder. Um, Guys, Extro is- We put cocaine in our pies. Extro Mm -hmm. is- Driving trash deluxe. It is you know what? so fucking I, trashy. I, it's way better than it should be. Though. I'm gonna tell you. While I was watching this film, you were rubbing one out. <laughs> God, you were no. you were rob- you were robbing one out. I were. Mm. Uh, I, actually, you this know, what? Like no, we're not. No, we're the not going to generation of sci-fi <laughs> alien movies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with Miriam Diabo as... Well, uh, I was going to say, you know... Uh, no, Ro- save it. Rose McGowan kind of looks McGowan. like oh. uh, the, the mother in this movie now, you know, so... Wow. Oh, wow. Guys, I, I legitimately... This movie is just so trashy and weird. Okay. Um, and, it, and it starts off almost right away with a... with it, you, Look, you know you're in for kind of like an... All right, you know when you're listening to music and then all of a sudden... The time signature just completely shifts, and you're like, "Oh, huh? huh? This movie does that immediately." Strawberry oh, Dream Fields. Theater. It's no, it's this, it's this, like, yeah, Dream Theater. Sure, it starts. Maybe okay, but guys, listen. It starts. They're playing on the farm, playing throw the stick. I guess yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But the dad, and then the light. He throws the, the stick. It, it slows down like a post slow where they didn't think they they didn't shoot it in slow motion. They just went do do. It like does this thing, freeze frames, and then a bright light comes out. Immediately, the rhythm of the movie, you just kind of go like, yeah. "This is well, weird." The director's like, they- oh, "I think I would like to like be evocative of what Kubrick did in two thousand one, where the monkey throws the bone into the sky." And it turns into a spaceship. So you say that, Chris, but the deal with the director is he he's is fucking... No. This is an Alan Smith no, film. He is... the He goes, Extro. Oh, you know, the, the, the deal with Extro is... Well, it's trash, obviously. It's garbage. Obviously. It's 100% garbage. It's uh, the, the, the dumbest film of all time. I don't even know how... And it, this is why I made three of them. Yeah, well, he... 
explains very matter-of-factly he oh, kept the rights sense. to the name, and it was the only way he could make movies. All three extra movies are completely different films. Yeah, by they way. have oh. no... All right. And you get Jan Michael Vincent in the second one. Dude, okay, I don't. you guys probably don't have the DVD of Extra like I, I do. I do not. But the there's DVD an incredible interview, 20-minute interview with the director on it, talks about all three movies, and it's it's so enlightening. He is, I, w- I want to get him on the show. He okay. would be so much fun to have because he, just, he knows what's up. He's not an idiot. He knows what he made, and he's just like, eh. I don't know what to fucking tell you guys. It's it's like well, okay, good because when chicken I was watching salad the, or chicken shit. When I was watching the movie, what I felt was that this is a film uh, that was written around the cool special effects and practical effects that they wanted to, to ejaculate on the celluloid because the effects are. Pretty they awesomely are they're pretty grotesque. cool, right? Yeah. Right? Right? And and none of it had any narrative or um or, or even cinematic cohesion no, at it, all. But it but, was like I want to have this in a film. I want to have this in a film. They don't fit, but I need them both in this film. So I'm going to have them in this film. It is a bunch of ideas put into one film. That's that's and what they try to like. loosely string it together they, with a plot. And there, that is there are that is hints, what it felt like. If you on, let's upon take rewatch, from one set piece to the next. Upon rewatch, there are. Hints of things where you go, oh, I guess that's the string from here to here. No, I get that there were, but it, it, it felt so disjointed and felt so tacked yeah, on. But guys, like, look, I'm not going to defend the film. Okay, good. I'm strictly going to well, tell it's you indefensible, that sir. this movie indefensible, sir. is fucking insane. But I will say I agree with you. This is a drive in delight. Oh, my God. I I absolutely when I and in fact when I was watching I felt a little bad because it's like you know what I picked a movie that is too fucking emotional and too fucking cerebral because dude I do that every to, episode because never when, pick it, my when, movie. It, when it comes to drive in <laughs> this is exactly what we're talking about right here exploitative crap well I'll, I'll I'll get into why I feel it pairs great with the brood in a fin- in a minute I just want to go it's through a contrast and for talk one. about some of the crazy shit that it has. I, that's really what I want to do. Again, I don't Br- want it. to defend the film. I just want to... Because... Wh- it's, it's a guilty pleasure. It's a guilty Like pleasure. Davenport did. You know I hate the word, the term guilty pleasure. You know I hate that term. Like, we're at a point in our lives where we do not need to be made to feel guilty about the movies that we love. Oh, I don't. But other people, that's how they see it. Well, so you know what? Them. I'm going to use fucking vocabulary that they're little... Nah, mental- fuck them. Here's the deal. I don't love this movie, but I love this movie, okay? <laughs> like, I don't really... Because it's not a good film, but it is a wild... Okay, guys, the first time you see the extra, it's a fucking crab-walking yes. thing. It's legitimately it is, unsettling it is totally unsettling in fact my well, wife it's a fucking plan my wife sees the the car scene and she goes what the fuck is that like, yeah. and like the exclamation is that's real exactly what kara did that's crazy she goes what the fuck and then but yeah. actually the she says that after because the first thing thing she goes is what the fuck are they listening to <laughs> oh no what my wife said is Classical. this music is fucking terrible yeah. oh okay I, by the way, I kind of like the synth score. Did you? I did. No, yes, no, I'm with, no, I like okay, it. Okay, guys, this isn't the director wrote the score, oh and God. I love the kind. Of, so it's 
All right, Rob, just so you know, you like I have a real true affinity for these backyard DIY regional films and this oh, kind I of can fits tell. in that. the last time we were together. Yeah. You gave me some That's right. Yeah. Like Squirm kind of has that vibe, right? Yeah, it absolutely does. I really and so this feels like that kind of movie just with a little bit more money and a bigger distributor behind it. The um the score is literally by the way, Harry Davenport is a classically trained pianist. Okay? Uh, he uh, does classically trained pianist? <laughs> he does yeah, how the, does that go about? He I mean? does the score. It does sound like he did one pass. <laughs> it sounds like he <laughs> watched like he the did movie. Half a pass. I just, like it. <laughs> I, I do too. Dude, I love that. Uh, Why? Uh, because it's fucking, it's one dude at a Casio keyboard. Okay. Doing what he can. Right, listen, dude, let me, let me tell you something. 1982, man. Listen, I, I, I was raised on Carpenter. I can't get behind this. I'm sorry. Now, Rob, hold on, dude. The the low end of the score didn't the, say it was good. The, the and the synthy like the Moog shit that's going on is awesome. But he puts that he puts the higher end notes in there that probably don't need to be awful. Okay. All right, okay. I'm, you're not defending. Um, you know what? It's 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 great for uh, it's great for a cheese factor. It it felt. It's not even that it's cheesy. It's that. Because, look, Rob, Chris, a man, ex- a fully grown man explodes from a woman's vagina. Yes. No. The, Ten minutes into the movie. scene was intense. Shoes his own Shoes umbilical, umbilical cord, cord off, off. Yes. And then washes himself at the sink. In the sink. Mm. Yes. Okay. No, you're right. You, I, I cannot tell you. How powerful that was as not only an image to watch, but as a as a personal uh, feeling. I think that that is what I think we all really want out of our life. Hell yeah! And I will say this too. I want to say you want to crawl out of a woman's vagina as a full size man. Well, hey, apparently Buddha did it. Um. So what? What? Fucking, he came out fully formed with being able to speak. I think it was kind of unfortunate what happened to the vagina, though. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, The the uh, typically, and I I feel like this movie is exploitative in in a way. In a way, that scene. There's no nudity. No, there isn't. And there's almost perfect opportunity. You know what's actually really funny about it? And it's not a rape scene. You but know what it kind it, of is, you know but it is, but it isn't. But you, you see that you see the tentacle esque protrusion, but it doesn't go where you think it's going to go. No, and, and if anything, it's exploitative of the alien because it's fucking <laughs> gross seeing this weird like alien vaginal cock. thing open and this dick thing come out, and then it, it goes on. But no nudity. Right. She's in a well. In you a know what's really funny rope, is, is that when think. she when she lays down on the floor, the camera does a little trick where it shows the top part of her shoulder. And and it and it hints of the breast, and then it Side cuts boob. right yeah. down to the legs to to get the. I uh, legitimately feel vagina. that any other filmmaker shooting that scene would, would shoot it totally a lot have. more crass. I was yeah. So th- there would have been a high crude factor. This is what I'm saying about the yeah, movie. But they're like, like, well, we can get some. But Miriam you know what? Diablo I was, I was just later. about to now, say. I was just about to right, say. Right. But guys, don't don't jump in on me here. Okay, Let me let's get there. Okay, look. Late night snake egg snacking, which is like we were talking earlier about the scene in Van Wilder where <laughs> they eat that the, shit like popcorn. Where they eat the cum donuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, nobody eats donuts like that. When he reaches in and grabs 
the male snake's eggs. Yeah, his yeah. name Harry. Harry. Yeah. When he grabs, First of all, he Harry's grabs eggs, two small eggs and they're just jizzing all over. He doesn't his... put them in his mouth. Right. He, he squeezes, squeezes them, them, lets them ooze into his. It's so and fucking there's gross. So much ooze. And it's like out of these tiny yeah. little snake eggs. I love that the and it's green. It looks like <laughs> fucking Gray. turtle slime. All right. The fact that the director is like, what we're going to show that's gross is going to be the slimy alien shit. Not, no. Not the, so no I love that. All right. There's... But I want to go from there. We get into what you Meteor said was shit. bothersome to you, the father-son blood bond thing that occurs. Yeah. All I, right. You know what? The first time I saw the scene, I was like unsettled. And then at, at the end, I'm giving – maybe it's, it's, it's too soon to say this – it sort of redeemed itself at the end when I realized what was happening right. in that scene. So here's the deal. Um, I won't go into specifics, yeah. but there was a point in my parents' divorce where it was difficult for me. I witnessed a bad side of my father that scared me. Mm. I saw it, it scared me, and I was legitimately unsure of what to make. And my mom, on the other hand, very maternal woman, so she tended not to really show her, you know, um, anger, angry side. But you know how men are. Men have a little more aggressiveness to them, so it happens. So something, you know, instances, an instance occurred that really kind of made me, you know, not a, well, afraid, a little afraid of my father. And my father was really quick to recognize that that's what he did right and and that he let he revealed a part of himself that he didn't that I didn't need to see and what he was very quick to do was to say you need to understand like I'm I'm sorry I don't I didn't mean to do this to you I didn't mean oh, to scare you I completely but understand you have that. to understand that this is what's happening to me. No, I and I so, get a father saying, "Look, son, don't no, be." But this scared. is what I love about this. This is the thing that I love watching this. I'm watching the movie, seeing the scene, and I'm like, legit, like, oh, like that's going to give his dad. That's his a son child a hug. of divorce. Gotcha. You see this, yeah. and you're like, oh, and then it gets fucking gross and weird when the dad just starts sucking on his <laughs> neck and pulling his skin up, and I can't help but go like. Davenport, the director, is such a provocateur. He's just like, I'm going to make it weird. My big question has always been, though, is it really the kid's father? Well, okay, yes, that's a good question. And, and, and... By the way, we're talking. There so are. There's. An, we're talking about an alien life choose, cycle here, right? You yeah. can pick and choose evidence to support yes or no. Because um, I mean, the father's abducted. The father's Three years abducted. later, you, well, the light comes back and the, plants a seed. Right. And 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 obviously they have control of his DNA and or something because he looks exactly like the father. What my what my concern and and maybe it's it's not a concern. Why does the child have the the properties of the father if the father was not an alien to begin see, with? That's that's what my other what big question right, was, was my too. Yeah. No, I think, but I, I think it's the bite. I think that the bite is what that does it. Well, so, yes, and so then that's what. So so the bite what, is what does it. Well, it's a so, transference, right? Well, and so that's what happened at the end when I saw what he did to uh, Anastasia, uh, Alicia, Miriam. Yes, Mary. Yeah. Yes, I, he I transfers said, I, he, right, and then I said, "Oh, that's what was happening in the neck," and that made me justify the neck scene, yeah, and and made me feel a lot 
less creepy about it. Yeah. So as all, less creepy as you could feel it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, right. guys, Absolutely. all of this this is so this is kind of incredible because we get it's all about this kind of alien stuff. We're having this discussion about alien life cycles. All of a sudden, a giant G.I. Joe shows up. Oh, a, wow. And, and and murderizes an old woman. A clown with a willow, dancing midget clown. A clown yeah. willow shows up. With by the way, with this he just, the the clown. Oh, and the eggs. Oh, oh, oh sorry, Rob, sorry. I'm, the I'm, clown. I'm sorry, just likes to hang out and show off his dumb rave toys. Yes, he's just like look but at that these is an light. amazing okay. light show, yo yo. I would take that light show to the fantasy. Now ranch. I want to just <laughs> one more <laughs> metaphor <laughs> thing here before I talk a little bit more about some of the gross shit. The system is down. Um. So here's another thing that happens now in divorce. So a parent, a child goes between father, mother. Sometimes a parent lets the child get away with something that the other parent wouldn't. Correct. Okay. This full on happens no, in this movie. That is absolutely correct. The kid correct. turns into a straight up, he gets his dad's alien powers, yeah. turns into a straight up shithead kid who's like, I'm going to fucking kill this bitch downstairs <laughs> yeah. with my G.I. Joe. Hey, wait, wait a, a second, the dad, the, She killed his snake. The dad, the, snake the dad, I love how the dad tells him, whoa, 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 you can kill the old lady, but just hold on, just son. Wait, just have wait. A, yeah, wait, have a little patience. patience. Yeah, he just yeah. says like, Don't. That's fathering yeah. right there. All right, guys, I, I want to, I, I kind of want to wrap it up a little bit here, but I just want to mention um, Miriam's Diabos. <laughs> And the fact that <laughs> she turns into um, an alien sack womb and very predictive of uh, what James Bond would do yeah. to her later. Wow. No, here's actually, it's pretty fascinating because. Check well, out that cello. You know what's really funny is that this, so the, in, Alien was 77, right? 79. 79. Okay. Alien was 79, but the scene, the, the wrap up cocoon scene was removed from the movie. Yeah. But this is obviously that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. even consider that. And there's no way that Davenport could have seen that. Scene. Right. That's that it's not, like mines. I don't yeah. know. Whatever. Well, um, they filmed at Pinewood, so maybe he's like, hey, what are these oh, rushes? Shit. Here? Maybe oh. Harry was on set. Yeah. And he was like, look at this hacks, Ridley Scott. <laughs> um but yeah, man, the thing about Miriam Diabo in this movie, aside from her glorious full frontal nudity. For an extended period of time, mm-hmm. um, and and again, by the way, I actually really love that the camera doesn't. It now it I don't. Okay, how do I say this? It doesn't linger, but it doesn't because move. It doesn't move, either. but it, it also there. It's, it's two just young lovers scene. completely yeah. naked fooling yeah. around. They're not even. It's yeah. like they're just but kind of playing I, I got, with each other, and it. Uh, it shows that, and I, I kind does. of thought that was fascinating. It, it, it's it's a little. It leans a little explanation. Well, because, because, come on. because people when they care about one another do these kinds it, of things. No, that's it, what I'm, Chris. That's what I'm it's saying. It's not fair like, play. It doesn't, you it don't, doesn't. You don't feel see the full frontal. Insincere. Yeah, uh, it actually feels like they're. That's what yeah. these guys. So were, less doing. exploitative is what it you're saying. Feels yes, a little I gotcha. less. So d- d- despite all the other kind of just grungy exploitative nature, so the one thing you, know, you would expect say, to be exploitative is not. I, 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 I will say I don't that think the sex is exploitative or the nudity. The, the, I, I was going to say that the nudity seems a lot more natural and wholesome yeah. than anything else in this film. Oh well, I'll talk about some wholesome there. <laughs> um, but then, by the way, we have another thing, and Rob, to your point earlier of just what. Uh, 
a panther shows up oh, to man. kill somebody yeah. out of nowhere. And I look, yeah. and I actually wrote it down this line. Killed the lover, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a that's lot. Yeah, the tank her. couldn't get him, so the panther yeah, does. Guys, she, the Wikipedia summary of this movie, I just wanted to write this line down because it's pure surrealism. Tony sends a toy tank to attack Michael, who is killed by a panther as he tries to flee. It's true. What the fuck? Right. I, like I said, it was, I want this scene in a movie. Let me put this scene in a movie. The director said that Robert Shea, the head of New Bob Line Shea, Cinema, yeah. Bob Shea, who distributed the film and threw money in to produce the film, was obsessed with the notion that a panther must be in this film. And the director says, I, I have no idea what to tell you. He insisted... That we shoot. He had it. probably just seen Paul, you, Sh- you know, Schrader's cat, cat people. people. That's exactly it. Do you know what's really funny? They had that, access to a panther. Did you? Uh, Kevin Smith tells a story about how he was trying to do Peter Goober's. The, yes, the giant, the, the, the giant spider, and then it ended up in Wild Wild West. I had a situation when I worked in L.A. as well about with a with a producer and writing, and it like it's true. People get ideas in their head, and whether it has to do with what we can access, what we can get, what I want to see. It is a thing that they just hang on to. I don't know how else Where's to Where's the octopus it. motor? Right. Okay. Um, I want to wrap it up here, but uh, we we get to a point where, the again, not too unlike The Brood, the movie starts to kind of crescendo, it and does. it gets to this crazy shit. We get some straight the up- The last 10 minutes are yeah, insane. Straight up alien body horror, um, decomposition and bleeding. We get an extra- the screaming brain melt. Yeah, yeah, the extraterrestrial makeup at the end is phenomenal. Dude, and I hear, right here, my notes say extra alien skeleton yeah. nightmare. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it looks like no alien it, I've yeah, ever seen. No, it's 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 brilliant. It's it like is. some weird skeleton yeah. dragon man alien. Yeah, and it's like, and it's nothing like the extra at the beginning of the movie. No. No. It's it's absurd. It's like an onyx, yeah. like glistening kind of black. Like and and little Timmy, like the, his transformation is absolutely astounding. It's pretty horrifying. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, so it's a movie again, similar to the Brood, dude. No, like no, it, I, it really I, I, has I, I, this vibe where it's like um, a father wants what's best for his child, and he takes this <laughs> kid on a journey to extraterrestrial alien horror, and. It's not um, a particularly well-directed film. There are scenes in the movie where people are talking, and I'm like, you could have put beats in there. You didn't have to just leave the master shot. Like, he, I don't think he's a great director, but I can see a madman at work, and I can't help but love a kind of movie that has a madman behind the scenes. And I love it when they have... When you're making something, you're up against... All odds. You've got a hundred people telling you what needs to be in this movie, and when other people are paying for it, like it's Bob even Shea. worse. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you what works for me for this film is is as a, as a sort of a counter to, uh, or sorry, as as a compliment to the brood as the, this father who is looking out for their child. That does kind of work. Yeah. I, I, I can see. Well, that. Well, I mean, think about it. Mom's an asshole. Mom is mom's totally... boyfriend is an asshole. The only person who's not an asshole is dad. Yeah, 
Well, Mary the kid's Dabo. an asshole too. Actually, no, no she's Mary terrible too. Yeah, she's a terrible, she's a terrible babysitter. Asshole. Yeah, hey, I'm gonna go um, lie I'm down. Like to go fuck my I boyfriend. Gotta go lie down. You're always lying down. By the way, we didn't mention this. I, I wanted to, but Miriam Diabo has something that none of the other actors have in the movie. She has an effortless charisma. Um, well, she's French. She doesn't do anything. She has. She does this, not have to. She has. Yeah, she has something, and I'm like, it does not surprise me that she would go on to become to, to become Bond. a very popular Bond girl. Yeah. So, and then of course she makes the documentary about Bond. Girls. That's right. She live in the last. Yeah. So anyway, a very famous one, the Lady Rose. It's extra is fucking outrageous and insane and. It was ultra. Uh, is that the word? How do you say the word? Ultra, 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 ultra. Is that Outre. how you say it? Outre. It has. It, it feels like an outsider making a film and not really giving a shit. It, and it, he it, does it. It also feels like spaghetti being flung at walls. I agree, a hundred percent. And I said this. Technically, I will mic. say, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but this, I, the ending where uh, mom is bathed in white and she takes the egg out and she's examining it, that is a beautifully filmed scene. It's also an alternate ending. The original ending oh. is she comes back. And there's a bunch of clones. All of the, the baby. eggs are, are the boy, the little, the, her son. <gasps> and they all come up to her and start rubbing her belly. Which is suddenly ballooned because of when they had sex at the cabin. She is now pregnant. But Bob Shea didn't like that ending. Yeah, and we all know Bob Shea's great endings. Pull a fucking rubber dummy balloon through a window. You know, like Bob Shea just hated it when endings were, hmm, what? No room for a sequel? He hated that, so he always insisted on different endings. They they cut that initial ending, which I think is actually yeah, kind of yeah, poetic I, I, and wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And by the way, links it closer to your film, right? The Brood, but also, th- so they uh, so he goes, okay, well, I guess you don't want that. So he just has her sit down in a field at the end, and then they're like, well, that's anticlimactic. So then they have this just like fucking refrigerated egg sack sitting in Nickelodeon gack explode <laughs> under her mouth. Okay, whatever. <laughs> it's a fun way to end the movie, and you're like, okay, what the fuck was extra? <laughs> What the fuck was extra? <laughs> well, you know, in 2022 parlance, this entire movie's extra. Ooh, oh, shit. Oh. Take that, bitch. All right, guys. Drip. That's extra. That's my choice. I don't think I used that correctly. Well, Chris, we got you got some tough competition here, bro. You can you kiss got- my ass, man, because I got the best motherfucking movie of all these shit. Okay, what do you got, Chris? I am bringing Bring Ken it. Russell's <gasps> Altered States. In the basement of one of the country's leading medical schools, Dr. Edward Jessup, candidate for a Nobel Prize, is conducting the most dangerous experiment in the history of science, and the subject of the experiment is himself. Ask him what kind of an experience I can expect. Definitely, the noise is definitely. It's blacked out. What happened?
happens during these blackout periods is you get the feeling of phenomenal acceleration, like you're being shot out over millions, billions of years. Time simply obliterates. Now, I'm asking you to put the experiment off until we understand a little more in order to minimize the risk. Wait. I'm really frightened. What the hell was that? We could be screwing around with this whole genetic structure. Now, how do we stop this? Millions of years stored away in that computer bank we call our minds. We have got trillions of dormant genes in us. Our whole evolutionary past. Perhaps I've tapped into that. I'm a professor of endocrinology at the Harvard <laughs> Medical School. I'm an attending physician at the Peter Bent Brigham Hospital. And I'm not going to listen to any more of your bumble jumble. I'm going to show you the radio. Because I believe it, I want this thing stopped. The most terrifying experiment in the history of science is out of control. The year is 1980. The director, like I said before, Ken Russell. The writer, Sidney Aaron, a.k.a. Patty Chayefsky. Starring William Hurt in his film debut, Blair Brown, Bob Balaban, Charles Hayde, and this was also the first film appearance of a very, very young Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I know. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy. So crazy. Yes, so Altered States. What is the fuck is this movie about? Um, Drugs. Yeah, dude. Drugs. No, uh, should I read the synopsis yeah, here? Go, let's All see, right. let's so, see, yeah. so the synopsis, it says, a scientist explores the boundaries and frontiers of consciousness using sensory deprivation and a mysterious hallucinogenic mixture and finds that the deeper he delves, the more his grip on reality and sanity slips away. Yeah. yeah, it's out there, dude. It's out there. May I say... <clears throat> That of the three movies in this uh, little assortment that we have here, mm -hmm. this is the one I enjoyed the most, in part because <clears throat> the first time I watched this film, I gave it the true drive-in experience in that I made out the entire film and have no idea what happened. That's awesome, dude. <clears throat> yeah. And... Uh, now, when, when was that the first time you saw? It? <clears throat> uh, I was in college. Okay. So 2000, hey, in the middle of making out, did you stop and go? I just had a vision of Christ on the crucifix. <laughs> thank God I did not. Yeah, thank God you didn't. No, I was, na I was nailing you, and all of a sudden I felt nah. like I was getting nailed. <laughs> I was like, "Your mother sucks cocks in hell." And, oh, wrong, wrong reference. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I, it, but I, it is true. Like I, I was. Hanging out with some friends at the time, the movie was there, but it wasn't being watched. But I'm glad that I got to revisit it. And then I realized, wow, how the fuck did we make out to this shit? This is insane. Because it's hot, dude. It's totally no, hot. No, yeah, it's not totally hot. hot. I mean, it's a great film. I mean, if you don't get a boner from looking at a multi-eyed goat being crucified <laughs> on a cross, I don't know what's wrong with you. I got to tell you, so... Uh, William Hurt, mm -hmm. um, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Oh, yeah. In fucking incredible. Yeah. So I, I went in knowing this was going to be a, a tough contender. Yeah. I, I did. What do you mean? What do you mean by tough contender, Rob? Uh, like to Kiss of the Spider Woman? Or no, what, no, no, what do you no, mean? no. Uh, for, for, oh, for, yeah, yeah. for tonight's I'm choices. With you. When he texted, because he, 
Chris, you chose this movie before I had chosen mine. Yes, that's I kinda, right. As soon as we got word that you had chosen The Brood and everything, mm-hmm. um, I kind of sat and thought about it for about five minutes after you'd sent that. Immediately, I was like, fucking Altered States. That's totally wow, it. Wow. So as a- soon as I had picked that and everything, I wrote you and said, hey, Rob's picking The Brood. I think I'm going to throw Altered States in there. And I, I, my, I think my response was, was like, that's, that's an amazing that's choice. That's a great yeah, pairing. A, I mean, that's yeah. a great pairing. Yeah. I was, I was, I was excited to watch the movie again because yes. it had been a long time since i'd seen You're it right. so it was it was a it was a fascinating experience when when was your first uh, my first time the first tripping time. or my no, first no, no. time Walter's, watching it watching altered states um i would say probably uh i so i get dates i'm like if i want to say 10 years but that's actually 20, not nearly as yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, that's well. See, for me, it was I was in college, so yeah. it was twenty years ago, literally. Yeah, me. it was like yeah. two thousand, two thousand one. I'm, in I'm there. around like I'm around two thousand one. Yeah, some yeah. somewhere so around, around two thousand one for me. Yeah. See, this movie, I saw this movie sometime in the 80s. I don't oh exactly I don't I exactly remember when, but here's the thing. Like I saw it you way too fucking young. Yeah, way yeah. Too, I mean, I was definitely not double digits. I was less than 10 years old when I saw this movie. How, how did time. you see it? It was on. I, I, I like think HBO it was, it was probably something? like HBO probably or something HBO. like that because I wonder if it was a the, the yeah. whole ending of that movie where... Uh, Blair Brown goes in to like you know she's already rescued Eddie Jessup after she pulls him out and then when he starts to lose control and she begins to de-evolve and then then do the the whole aha moment yeah are you sure you're not thinking of the take on me no 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 that's the thing because that's why take on me always haunted me Uh, that scene at the very end of this movie was much like and I swear to God, I probably saw it around the same time that I saw Twilight Zone the movie too because the creature on the wing from Twilight Zone the movie and the fucking hallway scene of Jessup throwing himself against the walls and everything, both of those are like images that are burned into my oh, brain because indelibly. I saw them you way too early. And it out. wasn't until like I was in high school that I probably watched this movie again for the second time. And at that point, the only reason I had watched it is because in... Let me put it this way. I think, you know, there was me and a group of friends said, oh, dude, let's fucking watch this movie, Altered States. It's all about fucking drugs and fucking sensory deprivation. And, of course, at the time I was doing drugs, you know, and like, you know, different realms of of, of consciousness and everything. Um, And that's when I found out one of the fucking samples from this movie that's used by fucking ministry. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel like my heart has been touched by Christ, which yeah. is another one of those things that like it's burned into my brain because it's like I've heard that a million times, right. you know, and fucking Skinny Puppy and all oh, the fucking God, shit that Skinny yeah, Puppy pulls yeah. from. Well, it wasn't Ogre, Skinny Puppy, man. but he used to pull shit from like the Fearless Vampire Killers and fucking Hellraiser, you know. So it was all about like you know, let's track down the fucking movies that these quotes are from if we didn't already know what the movies were. For me, it was Sir Mix-a-Lot. Uh, Cops don't like me, and it's from RoboCop. Ah, well, there you go. Sorry, do continue. I like it! <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar! <laughs> <laughs> Bitches, leave! Um, <laughs> I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. So anyway, yeah, I saw this movie way too early, but um, it wasn't until like I really got in high school and watched it and really, uh, you know, because was more adult and 
could understand it you're more mature um and then of course when i was telling you about that book the uh the the guide to the modern horror film that john mccarty had written this was one of the movies that he you know showcases in that particular book uh along with your pick the brood you know ah. so i kind of got on this ken russell trip where i'm kind of like dude i'm fucking yeah ken russell movies so anytime well, I you know what's really funny is that i'm sorry to, to interrupt but ken russell the, i think the first time i was in, introduced to ken russell was the devils oh yeah yeah which coincidentally has oliver reed in it which is also another movie that's showcased in that book you ah. know so it's like I was all about Ken Russell, and it took me forever to track down the devils because I had a high school theater teacher who was talking about Ken Russell's The Devils, and I'm like, I know this fucking movie. Where did you see it? He goes, well, I saw it back in, like, 71 when, like, it fucking came out. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't fucking track that movie down because it was on moratorium for a huge yeah, long yeah, while. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to tell you how I got it. I used to work in a video store. Why not? Dude, it took me years to find that movie. You could have asked me. You had it? I uh... Well, I, this, I mean, by the time I knew you. Well, yeah, you would have had it, but by that point, I had Why are you being so it. weird about it? What'd you do? Did you. That's what I want to talk about. Did you beat up Joe Dante and steal a 35 millimeter print of it or something? No, he had sex with somebody and got a copy of the Devils. That's what it was. <laughs> He's pretending to be a priest. And did you kind have of like, sex? Well, you know what? I have had sex. Did, <laughs> did you have sex? I, I did. Oh, okay, cool. Well, why don't we talk for a second <laughs> about. I didn't mean to put you off. The, the contentious behind the scenes stuff about the movie. Oh, God, man, this movie was totally fucked up. So, um, anyway, Patty Chayefsky, who is an academy, a multi-academy award-winning... Multi. multi. One of the most like, beloved screenwriters yes. so, in yeah, Hollywood he, history. I mean, he got three Academy Awards for screenplays. Didn't he, like, not like this film? Or? Oh, he hated oh, it. Oh, boy. Now, okay. he only... as He's known for being a screenwriter, okay? Uh, yeah. You know, he wrote Network, which is probably, like, his most famous piece. I'm but also, re- yeah, I'm as mad, I'm mad as hell, hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Um, but he also wrote The Hospital, which was a movie with George C. Scott and everything. That got an Academy Award. I'm trying to think what's the other, the first thing that he got the Oscar for. I can't fucking remember. Anyway, but Patty Chayefsky, a, a beloved Hollywood screenwriter, he only wrote one novel, and the name of that novel was Altered States. Now, why did he write the novel? Why did he write the novel? Yeah, he was on drugs. No. He well, I'm, been. I don't mean to sound, okay. Sorry if I sound like There's a story here. Sorry, Brandon wants to tell a story. There was a so this time period in Hollywood was there was a uh what's the word a uh respectability toward uh, adaptations of novels. Mm. So when Patty says uh this is the thing I want to write. Oh, by the way, he came up with the idea hanging out with uh John Lilly. John, uh, was it John Lilly? And then who was the other guy? Um Timothy Leary? Timothy Leary. Yeah. And they were makes, all talking, they were like, yeah. let's make a Frankenstein movie. Well, and then they were John, like, when's John Leary's research like what's Well, it? Timothy, Tim Leary. Timothy Tim- Leary was a Harvard psychologist who did kind of some experimentation with LSD and some other things. John Lilly was another psychologist, but right. he was famous uh for another George C. Scott movie, believe it or not. Um John C. Lilly uh created a dolphin lab because he thought yes! the dolphins were like, you know, yes. Very, you know, sentient beings and everything. So he created this entire lab. He He wound up giving acid to dolphins and then jacking them off. As you do. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. Like, you know, it was like the, the dolphin jacker. Um, but he also did a whole bunch of sensory deprivation yeah. experiments as well. So, like, all this shit that John Lilly was doing and that Timothy Leary was doing, he kind of, like, combined this in his head and everything. But... Sorry, the the conversation was from he was hanging out with Bob Fosse and Herb Gardner. Oh, okay. Well, and, two. I mean, you got Bob Fosse, the the director, of course, because Patty Chayefsky and Bob Fosse were like best friends. 
Right. Uh, and then Herb Gardner was another playwright. Right. And they were, I'm not Rappaport. That's right. Uh, yes. And they were so they were at the Russian Tea Room in '75, and they were like, we should make a movie. So they decided to do a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that's basically where that came from. So Patty gets like super excited about the concept, and he goes, uh, "This is what I want to do." He starts delving into the psychological aspects of it, gets a little self serious and whatnot, and the a producer goes, "Here's what you do: publish it as a book." And then we'll adapt the book. And, and we'll let us, you write the yeah, adaptation. And it'll give us the credibility. And, you know, the thing about Patty Chayefsky was he was a force of nature in in Hollywood. He wasn't like a William Goldman who was well-loved and respected but played by the rules. Patty Chayefsky was like, uh, I am the 800-pound gorilla involved in the production. Like, I... I write it you don't change a word of my script yeah i'm gonna sit there and i'm gonna guide the director oh. i'm gonna do all this shit so that's kind of the genesis of so this whole initially thing. when this started to get optioned as a film project arthur penn was supposed to be the original right. director on this right. okay and through the development process and stuff arthur penn for reasons that they don't necessarily go into a lot of detail about arthur penn said fuck it i'm out Chances are it's probably because he couldn't get along with Pat Chayefsky. Okay? Excellent. So they went through about 27 other directors Jesus. trying to find somebody to direct this That's project. That's the claim. And when, Ken Russell and when makes, most right. people, yeah, I know. And, and the story goes, according to Ken Russell, that, you know, most every other director, they said, who are we doing this with? Patty Chayefsky? Uh, That's because Paul Verovin hadn't been invented yet. And <laughs> Patty did have a lot of fucking clout and control over how this was going to happen. He actually, I think, also was given the option of okaying, you know, who was going to be directing. And he was, was friends. He was friends with uh, Ken Russell. Yeah. So. Well, they knew one another. I don't think they were kind of friends because it got to be the point where they fucking hated each other. Right. That's what happens. They, that's their friendship. That's they like realized Magneto during collaboration it couldn't yeah. work. They did, They became, they were friends after the movie was done. Yeah. They became friends again. They stayed friends. Yes. Yeah. But Patty... Patty didn't last yeah. too much longer. No, no. Lung cancer, I think it was, that got him? Something like that. 61, something like that. But anyway, very, very sad. Yeah. Um, but anywho, Ken Russell's brought in to direct this film because, uh, and actually, Ken Russell was kind of in a slump at this point. You know, all through the early 70s and everything, you know, he had a string of incredible hits. I mean, Tommy, you know, think he's got yeah, Tommy, yeah. he's got The Music Lovers, Listomania, um, I mean, I can kind of go on and on with a bunch of you know Ken Russell movies, but um, Ken Russell was kind of down on his luck by the time they had kind of come to 1980 and everything. Um, the last couple of movies that he had made had not done very well. There was, uh, did I say The Music Lovers? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Devils was hidden. Yeah, I mean, vault. The Devils was 71, 72 yeah, yeah. and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, the, he had had a lot of like, you know, and he was a bit of a maverick too. I mean, he had a very, very distinctive visual style and I mean, I think you go through his entire film. Like you can tell when you're watching you're, fucking Ken Russell. Right, right. I mean, he's, he's every bit as recognizable that, as Lynch. That you you can kind of Lynch, look at him and say, Kubrick. Okay, I, um, this is definitely a Ken Russell movie. Yeah. Um. So Lynch, Kubrick, Spielberg, Cronenberg, uh, Carpenter. Like there, there are there directors is, that leave their a stamps. Definitive style, you know, and uh, and Ken Russell's another one of those ones where you know he kind of gets name above the title. Yeah. Um. So anyway, they bring in Ken Russell, and uh, he starts working on the project and everything, uh, and almost immediately, he and Patty are just kind of like bumping heads, because 
Because you can't Ken, have two control freaks. Well, yeah, and Ken Russell's kind of saying, he goes, we don't need all this verbose shit. Yeah. You okay? can't have two directors. Yeah. No, absolutely. And the problem was is that uh, Patty Chayefsky, after Ken Russell would give direction, would actually go and pull the actors aside, oh. would pull William Hurt aside, and pull Blair Brown aside, and start telling him, this, this is how, how I wrote this. Scene. Oh, yeah. that's it. I didn't, so I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. To the point where Patty Chayefsky and one of the producers on the film had Patty Chayefsky barred from the set. Well, no, that's what I I know, no, you mean uh, Russell did. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Patty Russell Chavsky did. Had, yes. But I, see, I, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize that it was happening during production. I oh, absolutely. During pre-production. Yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was very during production because Patty Chayefsky was on the set every day. Now, the story, which is too, normally not something that you have happening with a screenwriter. Right. But he also, you know, he was in charge in a yeah. way of the movie. But, you know, Ken Russell was no saint either. He was going through a very serious bout of alcoholism at the time. A very angry, difficult man to work with. A very uh, uh, artistic, uh, gregarious man. And particular, too. <laughs> yeah, and very particular and had a distinct, unique, as you said, Rob Vision. And I'm with it. That doesn't work. Yeah. Well, the way that he kind of made his way around, you know, the issues that he found with Patty Chayefsky's script, which he said was a piece of shit... Um, David O. Russell, the other Russell. There, there you go. go. There, there you, you go. go. Um, but anyway, he said, well, we're going to start telling a lot of these scenes visually. So that way, because, I mean, the thing was is that you were not allowed to cut or change. Oh, I'm sorry. You were not allowed to change any of Patty's dialogue. So what they did instead is they just fucking cut the dialogue completely yeah. and did a visual scene. Or he <laughs> just said, just spit it out like a machine gun. Yeah. Editing a censorship. Yeah. Well, look, Ken Russell deliberately attempted to sabotage altered states and has said so. And they both of them kind of on like public record. Patty was very much like, no. Well, that's why he, this took, is a piece he struck of his name from the project. Some okay. people say yeah. I he, knew he died had... of heartbreak from yeah. the experience. Whatever. But if you actually look at the film, it says screenplay by Sidney Aaron. Yes. Based upon the novel by Patty Chayefsky. Well... Patty Chayefsky's real name, because Patty's his nickname, his name is Sidney Aaron Chayefsky. So he just took his Sydney first Aaron. Yes. And can I can I brag? I have a first edition hardcover of oh, Altered yeah? States. Yeah. Of the book? Yeah. Can I borrow that? Sure. I actually want, I've never read the novel. I've Absolutely. never read the novel. You have to be in a chamber that has no lights on when you read it. So can I read it in night vision goggles? I think you can. That'd be cool. Yeah. You also have to be on... Uh, Ayahuasca, yeah, yeah. Get some Chris. Ayahuasca. Let's talk a bit about. I was say mushrooms, but ayahuasca. We got an idea about what happened behind the scenes. People were fucking around. It was. <clears> a, it, it's an insane production. Yeah. Ken Russell was very quick because the movie got critical acclaim, and Ken Russell was kind of shocked because he again deliberately sabotaged the film. How, how did he deliberately sabotage the he film? Hate. He just again. He's an angry drunk who shows up got on it. set and just goes. Fuck it. Just spit the dialogue out. I'm not interested in all this verbose lecturing bullshit. This is a movie about tripping, this and is... I'm going to show you a fucking trip. Interestingly yeah. enough, I agree. Yeah. The only thing is, he, he could have used a Honestly, sense of diplomacy. The, uh, yeah. You know what the funny thing is? Is that Hurt brought so much to the character. Um, I, I mean, the character is a, a complete dickhead anyway. But I mean, like, I was convinced that that was... 
a living, breathing person. Yeah, that I mean, the character sense. of yeah. Eddie Jessup is fully yeah. formed, yeah. definitely. You think so? I think so, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. Very much so. And I think that, you know, it, there's, a, there's a huge journey he's, that the character goes he's, on. He's almost, um, he, he's almost like um, a, a stand-in for ambition. Yeah, well, the, the beautiful thing is that, like... Uh, Victor Frankenstein. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Frankenstein Jekyll. kind of thing. Yeah, De- yeah, yeah. Most oh, definitely. Cheekle. Yeah. But one of the things <laughs> that uh, that I really noticed, you know, visually that was really interesting is the first time that uh, William Hurt and Blair Brown's characters are introduced and everything. There's this, you know, faculty party that's taking place. You know, there's a lot of alcohol, weed getting passed around and everything. And then when... William Hurt's character shows up to the party. The door opens, and he is He's standing in the, by yes, white light. Yes, yes, you know? yes. and this is how she sees him. Sees him yeah. I remember that. It's, it's a striking scene, and, and it sets up the god complex. It does, but think about it. She's the only one that kind of sees him in that light. But, but she sees him that way all the way through the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which I think is kind of an interesting thing because really it ties those two characters together. Absolutely because it does. the whole denouement of this story and the Deus uh, Ex Machina of I this story say, is the relationship between he. It's a love story. Is it, is, at, yeah, the, you, at the most basic of this movie, are, if you boil it down to it, it's a love story and love conquers ambition. I, I will say that I, it was so unexpectedly sentimental when I got to the end. I was like. Re- Really? I was shocked that that was the ending. I was I was amazed because there are so many ways that it could have gone and I think a a, a contemporary writer would not have taken it yeah. to that But I mean, direction. you know, the whole drive and obsession which of course most people think is the keystone to mm-hmm. Jekyll and Hyde, you know, in order to differentiate these two stories and kind of make it somewhat palatable and probably <laughs> You know, this well, is the sentimental side of Ken Russell, where even amidst his, you know, his bitter, drunken, you know, angry angst that kind of is spit out into this movie, uh, I think he's maybe trying to kind of exercise some of those demons as well. Because what happens, it's not a tragedy. The story isn't. is not a tragedy. And most horror films are the only way that you can tell a tragedy to a modern audience. And I don't think it's necessarily a Hollywood ending for this. Um, You know, I think it's a way of actually kind of showing there is a little bit of hope here. that You can go through selfish, driven ambition and still come out on the other side because there are some things that are more important than your ambition and the and, and and you actually see that this is the character's journey yeah. that Eddie Jessup goes on because yes he's a prick from the get go and he tells her look I'm a fucking prick yeah. I'll admit it I'm a prick and everything but you know the simple fact that he is able to look on the world with such excitement and fresh eyes and even all these weird things that he's doing he goes to it with positive intentions he's amazed he's you know he's not trying to fuck anybody out of anything he's like what lies beyond he's he's less self-absorbed and just absorbed by the by the chase yes exactly Mm. exactly and of course you know uh you've got some of his associates you know you've got these characters of arthur and mason who have been working with him on this kind of project and you know they're kind of two sides of, of the same coin where arthur's kind of like well i'll kind of indulge you because i'm curious to see how deep the rabbit hole goes and then you have mason who's the skeptic and says well i'm a fucking medical doctor and i'm here to keep you from fucking hurting yourself and there's a point where it becomes 
undeniable that this madman, which, you know, Mason is constantly referring to Eddie Jessup as being, you're a fucking wacko. You're a f-, and he says it flat yeah, out. You're yeah, a wacko. You're a wacko. Shows up the next you're day a wacko. and helps him. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, but he's still there because there's something about this character that, of Eddie Jessup that he draws, draws people him. to him. It's it's amazing that you you noted that I, I remember watching it and thinking, man, for a, for a guy who hates this dude so much, he is just there. Why is he still? I don't think around? he hates him. I no, think well, he hates well, what he's doing uh, yes. because he cares. No, I think, he, I think he, but he also cares. He he pokes he pokes holes. He he criticizes. He takes down every step of the way, but. There's a point where he can't deny it anymore, though. Right. Because Arthur he's, goes the whole route of saying, he goes, like, I am fucking energized. And then, of course, Mason's kind of like, holy shit, there is something to what you're fucking talking about here. It's almost having, uh, it's almost like Jesus having a Judas light apostle. Well, you know. It, there isn't a full betrayal. If, if Judas were like, the comic relief. Right. Or, or maybe, well, I mean, either Judas, or you can even go as far maybe as saying, a doubting Thomas, fucking, maybe a, saying Satan, because what does or, Satan yeah, mean? Yeah, you know, Satan is the adversary. Yeah, the adversary. Absolutely. So he's there because you have to have... Uh, that was for you, baby. ...that conflict between Shaitan. Uh, you have Shaitan. To, you have to have that... that uh, duality yeah. in order to kind of make the well, story move forward, and 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 in the uh, in the uh, because we're we're setting up um, Hurt's character for for uh, a sort of a god complex, it does make sense to have him have a devil. Yeah, well, and I mean, even William Hurt's character says he goes, "I'm going to fucking find you, God. Yeah. I'm going to find yeah. you." Um, but you know, there's just there's so many interesting things that kind of pop in here too. Um, there's this constant duality and juxtaposition, you know, science and philosophy, heaven and hell, God, the devil. You know, these are things that are constant kind of playing back and forth. Rapture and, and enlightenment. And yes. you know what's really amazing is uh, Good when, yes, when, when uh, Blair says at, at the end of the movie um, where she's she's freaking out because she's like, I've lost him. I've I've absolutely lost him. Uh, he's he's been ra- he's he's made his connection with God. Uh, he's been ravished by God, is what mm-hmm. she says, and it very sort of um, borrows uh, John Donne sort of uh, language yeah, to describe but she's no this idiot experience. Too. I mean, she is no, a no, PhD absolutely. in anthropology, so you know human experience and phenomenology. Which she even kind of says it. She goes, "You have had a phenomenological experience." Yes, absolutely. She recognizes, she recognizes that there is something going it. on, but. And, and, and she says, and she's, and she realizes, like, okay, well, I, I've lost him because there's no way I can compete with with God. Whatever he has done with himself, I can't compete with. And then his revelation, like what I actually experienced, was profound because it's like you think you know what I I felt, but it isn't what I felt. You think you know what it's like to fuck God, essentially, but it's not what you think it is. Uh, it also kind of reminds me. Um, uh, did you see Martyrs? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of the end of Martyrs as well, um, where uh, the the cult, the church, has been trying so hard to get to find to the, the purity to, of rapture yes, and, and, and and cross the levels of pain, absolutely, and, and, and her, her human. Uh, comprehension into a world that is beyond that, that Absolutely. exists, and they get the this answer. Like and the she, Cenobite. she she whispers it. She whispers the answer into the ear, and you can tell he's like horrified by what the answer is, or it's not what he was expecting. And it's it's a very challenging moment for him as this person who's been pursuing it and realizing, oh oh, is that is that is that what it is? 
Uh, Chris, I love I, I love hearing this the the intellectual uh, breakdown of everything. Why should this movie play on a drive-in screen? Yeah, for man, people? this ain't no drive-in movie because it's a fucking trip. Well, I mean, tell, you know, tell, let's talk about some of the crazy shit I mean, that goes John on. John Dykstra did a lot of the visual effects until on this he was movie. fired. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> you know, but there's a good portion of a lot of stuff that that still made it in Is there? there. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure if he got anything in there or not. Yeah, there's uh, some of did, his stuff that they wound up using and okay. everything. And, and then did he, he do the, goats, the other thing too? Is that some... kind of Boy, he got into... fired a lot, didn't he? Yeah, he must have been a difficult person. Um, but you also get some of those very Rick Baker. Indicative Ken Russell scenes, like for instance, uh, and I'm not sure because I don't, you know, I don't think he did it chroma key style. That's that's the weird thing. It's like you can always tell like a Ken Russell scene where actually I think it's rear projection. So like all the stuff where they're kind of dressed in colonial garb and everything, and they're sitting in the tulip field and eating the ice cream and everything, you know, that's a very Ken Russell type scene. But I mean, what Ken Russell does is he tries to kind of give you this feel of what these types of trips are, you know, because uh, the character of Eddie Jessup first tries to kind of play around with just this idea of sensory deprivation. Then he starts to marry the idea of let's take these hallucinogens and combine Mm -hmm. them with sensory deprivation. Because if we start upping the dosages of the drugs at a certain level, they're going to become toxic. So what's the next step that we have to take to kind of break through the boundaries that we think that we've, we've reached, you know, psychologically. And the whole idea is that, we are comprised of atoms and cells that, you know, are millions, if not billions of years old. You know, all the material all of which we've been made up of is there, too. is there. And the idea that the memory of that is there as well. So what happens is this character begins to de-evolve as Absolutely. time goes on. You know, first he kind of starts to kind of, uh, you know become kind of proto-simian then he becomes a fucking caveman you know yeah. killing goats and of course the whole scene that takes place after the you know they take an alvin ailey ballet dancer put him in a monkey suit and it's actually a pretty fucking cool scene and you know give him a fucking club and he goes around beating security guards makes his way into the zoo and then it plays like this this proto version of fucking American, American Werewolf, Werewolf in London. Yeah. I, mean, I was yeah. like looking at that. And I'm like, oh yes, I think that there's a certain director that saw this scene and said, ooh, this would work very very well in my movie as well. So there's these you know this horrifying imagery. I mean, hands down. Altered States is a horror film, and I think it's a body horror film, it which is, is something that kind of gives it well, a parallel, particularly to the brood. The, the end where um, he he devolves into this sort of Bib Fortuna proto matter uh, kind of right. thing, and it's, it it evokes uh, a Tetsuo's transformation at the end of Akira. Yes, uh, thank you for he, saying that correctly. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, get out, I am Tetsuo. Hey. What are some fucking things that play on a drive-in screen? Bloody fucking goats. Bloody fucking lizards. Clubbing cops. Giant monkeys. Swinging dicks. Boobies. Bush. Fucking psychedelics. All over the place. Man, I could have said that better. That is the kind of shit right there that totally totally plays. It is an intellectual movie, but guess what? It is also a very, very visceral film as well. 
Okay, it is visually arresting. Absolutely, I mean, the, almost the on, almost are, on the scale of fucking two thousand one. No, absolutely. I, I, and here's I would, the thing I too: is that this is Cooper. kind of what helps to play it in a drive-in setting as well. Two thousand one, a space odyssey. Everybody kind of thought, "Wow, the visual effects are amazing," but really, they really the movie started the... to bomb when it was first released. So what, what did they do? The they repackaged it, the ultimate trip. Yeah. Okay, and that's well, the same type of thing that this movie delivers. I was going to say that the 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 visuals are almost disconnected from the theme because 2001 is really about Hal and and Dave. But, but no, 2001 this, is about the evolution of man. I, I, yes, this yes, yes, movie is about I'm the saying, de-evolution of man. I'm talking about the, the plot. Okay, is is about Hal and Dave. It's it's simply that. But but the plot of this movie, by necessity, involves. The de-evolution of man, like it, it by necessity wraps in the things that I think that that two thousand one tack on at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, two thousand one is Hal and Dave, except for the beginning and the uh, uh, sorry, uh, Hal and Dave, except for the beginning and the end. Whereas this, it, it the the network of his progress um, um, from 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 protohuman to um, connecting with with the the oneness of of the beginning is threaded into the essence of the film in a way that I don't think it is in two thousand one. You can if, if there's a little bit more it. of a disconnect between all the scenes that take place in two thousand one. As where that's this exactly is, what I'm saying. There's a journey. You actually get to follow Eddie Jessup on his journey. That's exactly. And the interesting yes. thing is the sentimentality of that is that you know the love that exists between Eddie Jessup and his wife is the thing that saves him, that brings him back from the brink. And he even kind of says it too that after I de-evolved, there's nothingness. Yeah. There's nothing out there. The only thing that brings Brings any meaning to our is lives you. is the, the fact human that experience. we as human yeah. beings can come together and experience and share something. And it's that's important. what makes meaning to life. It's important too, uh, particularly because he's been such an absentee asshole the entire film. Yeah, but there's points too where he comes to the recognition: I have to have you. Yeah, and I mean he was the one that kind of like initiated this idea yeah, of divorce. Touch. Yeah, well, oh, the divorce yeah, yeah, yeah. between the two. He's yeah. like, I got to split up. I guess I'm being confined by this relationship and ultimately he comes to cherish that very relationship so um yes we're getting very philosophical but yeah blood boobies guts drugs uh psychedelics uh sensory deprivation explosions drama melodrama uh fucking your mom cavemen my mom yeah all of our mothers yeah so if you have not seen this movie you should watch this movie because it will blow your fucking mind. Uh, what well, the revelations of the goat, uh, the the horns, the the beast. Well, the whole construction yeah. of of religion and philosophy, Absolutely. and that you know, honestly, you will see things... God in this film. Yes. Can I ask you guys a question? Ask away. Um, have you guys ever done ayahuasca? No, no. but wait, you have some on you. I don't have any on me. Ah, uh, don't tease. I me. mean, it's been. You know, uh, re culture well, reappropriate, kind of like how William Hurt does it, where he, you know, kind of culturally appropriates it. But it's totally it, culturally. It has been reappropriated it. as like something that, you know, you know uh, a bunch of people who claim to love practicing yoga go to take a trip and go do for a weekend. Um, well, why? When you got peyote and you got, you know. Oh, DMT. Have you seen. Uh, d- 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 the they God make a molecule? mention of, of DMT actually in the movie, yeah. and it immediately brought me to um, Gaspar Noe's uh, Into the Void. Yeah. Sure. Which you should also see if you have not. Yes. But, okay, so 
then we'll since all right, not ayahuasca. Have you guys? I don't if and I you know if, I, if you guys I, don't want to talk about it, we we don't have to talk I, I about have, it. But I have I've microphone. I have partaken of many different uh, psychedelics now, in my as time. somebody who has as two people, three people who have had psychedelics, uh, a psychedelic experience, whatever you want to call it, whatever. How do you guys feel about the the tripping scenes in this movie? My my experience with LSD was a microdose, so I didn't okay, see fair. things like that. I I have, however, had um, an experience with a, a control substance that approximated approached um, some of the some of the uh, experiences thematically, like the whole universe, I, like like where I'm starting to see the math in the universe and, and the expansion of what existence is and, and that connection with God. I've also seen a very staggering and disturbing emptiness at the end that is profound. Sure, okay, And great. a connection with humanity. Okay. So uh, while not visually on the same um, scale, definitely thematically so, so you're telling me you never saw i never saw a you goat never saw demon with Jesus seven breasts christ with a goat head and spider eyes <laughs> no, gyrating I on a cross i'd say that i you never saw that? that okay that's <laughs> well, how i would leave you know this what, no, by the way i would take that uh if i if i could get access to that chemical i, I might uh all right I, I, uh, hit me up it. after the show yeah all right <sighs> you know i think a lot of films that try to kind of reproduce the idea of what it's like to have a psychedelic experience or be under the influence of a hallucinogen uh there's two ways that they can take it there is a very very kind of almost literal interpretation that wants to kind of give the viewer an idea of what a psychedelic hallucination can look like and then there's other ones that go through and it's more of a metaphorical Mm-hmm. exploration sure. of, of what you're it is. saying this movie falls into the metaphor I, I do very much so so Real the quick. things that are being confronted by the characters that are under this and everything like that I totally get where they're going from mm-hmm. a thematic perspective yeah. um, and in some ways there are a couple of things on there that like oh shit you know yeah those are the kinds of things that maybe while not necessarily being what I would definitely visually see when you're tripping uh, are the kinds of things that are evocative of the things that you would see when you're tripping. I am in agreement with you. Sister. Real quick, what are the, if you can, off the top of your head, if you're able to do it, the best film depictions of tripping? Fear and, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. Really? Yes. Okay. When he walks into the casino for the first time and is looking at that carpet and the carpet is moving, uh, that... Triggered a flashback for me one okay. time watching that movie for the first time. All right, time. so fear and loathing because for the you. The very first time I ever uh, partook of anything and, and tripped on something, I looked at the fucking floor, and that's what the floor, it was eating my feet. The floor was eating my feet. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that pattern of carpet in fear and loathing, I said, that's exactly what it fucking looked like. That is, so there are films that can sometimes pick up on little things, but it's such a subjective experience, yeah. too. You know what I was going to say? I was going to say Friday. You remember when he sees the dog and the dog looking back at him? He goes, "Oh man, I'm tripping!" <laughs> like I was like, "I have had that moment, yeah. sir." Very subtle, very. That's exact. Okay, that's dude. That's yeah. all right. That's why I think drugs should be a social sort of thing because when you're alone by yourself and you're doing drugs, and then your pet comes and just looks at you for a while, you're like, "Oh, dude, oh fuck, man, no, don't look at me like that." And the dog or cat is like, "I know what you did." Oh yeah. man. 
You said, and I just I want to we want to I want to wrap this up real fast. But like, um, you mentioned that uh, having that kind of experience is a subjective experience. Absolutely. But here's the thing that's kind of fascinating to me: um, everybody that I've had a deep, uh, a long, uh, 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 deep dive discussion about their experiences actually has kind of had the same end result. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry, strike that. Not end result, but the same kind of... Um, uh, uh, the things that they describe are similar? Yes. Yeah. And it, you kind of reach a thing. Now, here's... So... You know what? I think it's it's gradation. Some people go and and the 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 manifestation of it externally is different for yeah everyone. i mean look it's an obstacle course for your brain I so think your we're brain all is going to have into the universal unconscious but we're all we all hit into the same exactly chris we all hit into the same kind of matter of fact stuff let me just i i just want to say about this movie real quick uh the 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 big issue i have with it and it's it it really it literally just comes down to the character journey okay i um a big reason why i stopped taking psychedelic drugs was because I reached a point um, or I, I felt as though I reached a point where I was good. I, I took I them. I think a lot of us hit that point. I took them not because, and I think a lot of people said like curiosity is one thing. Mm-hmm. Discovery becomes another thing. I reach, I feel that I reached a point in my life where I dis felt that i had spent my time looking inward discovered things now we're always changing we're always growing we're always getting better if i were to take something right now i would probably have a different some a different experience knowing myself as an as an adult who's experienced life differently um i remember a friend of mine made said something about well let's you know we're gonna take mushrooms let's take mushrooms and i literally was like i'm i'm good like i'm done i'm i've I get nothing else out of I've, this. I've gotten the experience. Yeah, that I've I'm had going my experience, right? And I'll, I was able to peel the veil back enough and see enough of what I wanted to see. I don't need to look anymore. Yeah, and it's and it was one of those things where, and then you know, this person was kind of like, "Well, uh, yeah, I'm not done." And I I just remember always thinking like, it's interesting because I feel like you're taking this to escape because. I, I, I saw in this person that they were never truly this is judgmental of me and I, I you know I admit that but like I felt that they were never truly looking inward and that they were doing it as a form of escape from a lot of responsibility and so a lot of they other weren't things. psychonauts they were tourists they were exactly Chris that that's a great way that's a wonderful way of describing it so Do you feel William Hurt is a tourist my problem with this movie is from the get-go and I don't want to shit on the movie. Okay, I'm not. But like the, from the get go, the first thing I noticed of this guy, I'm like, "You're not fucking looking inward, dude." Yeah. Oh, you're you're so you're so busy looking for the god particle or whatever. I'm gonna tell you something your right ambition, now, dude. If your... somebody shows up at one of my parties and starts doing what he did at that party, where he's like <laughs> drunk and talking, and he's and uh, get the fuck out of here. Like that's a you're that's enough. Stop talking at me. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Take a minute to look inward. Hey, by the way, your wife and your kids need you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's no secret that he's a prick. I, I mean, know, that's, that's, but that's, that's, so that's, okay, look, but that's my problem with the, that's the problem that I have with the movie. I had a hard time 
uh, finding so you don't think a there's surrogate. a potential, uh, uh, you know, kind of journey that he goes no, on to I don't. where he's not going to be a prick at the end? I don't. I don't. You really don't think I don't. that he, he came to a His rec- journey, a the, for me personally, it's so obvious. The, the end of the movie is, I love you, I love you too, and they're hugging, holding each other naked on the floor. Like, for me, I'm just like, dude. And that shot of Blair Brown's ass. <laughs> it's incredible. All right. Um, anyway, that being said. I, I, I gotta say, I, I, was, I, was, I was impressed because I didn't think that that's where it was going to go. And, and maybe I'm just naive. I, but I seriously didn't think that that's how the movie was going to it was so hopeful and optimistic and 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 humanistic and i did not expect that my my so i just i, I said this earlier you get out what you bring in right, right for right. me the people i know that have had that exact same experience where they realize oh my god oh, this whole time i was looking in the wrong place it is you i love that is the happy ending the reality is People like that tend not to change. It, it's a temporary shift in their consciousness, and immediately that obsession can j- continues to drive them to tragedy, which, Chris, you said this movie is not. I'm just projecting. So I'm not saying that that's there in the movie, but that's kind of what I get yeah, out of it. Yeah, projecting your shit on yeah, it. I, Jeez. And I do. I do. Okay, look. So that's there we go. Let's, let's wrap that one up. Um Chris, great choice. I mean, it's it great choice. Rob, okay, here we go. Rob, it's up to you now to pick what you feel is the proper double bill for your film, The Brood. So, what's the best companion piece in a double feature that goes hand okay, in this, hand with the this brood? Is, this is this uh, is this is uh, a profound and a terrible choice. Uh, let me just say that. Um, both of these movies bring a lot, a lot to the table, and and I, I let me say too that um, I think that off the top, um, Altered States was probably the uh, cinematic experience that I enjoyed the most when revisiting these films. Um, I hadn't seen Outro, extra, sorry, Extra before, but I had seen the other two before. And watching The Brood again and watching Altered States again, I I got a lot more out of Altered States. Um, I, I gained a, a great appreciation for it. Um, I think Hurt was phenomenal. I think there was some um, melodrama with Blair at the end, but I think it it... it, it the movie brought it back to where it needed to be, uh, and I thought the um, the antagonism between the two um, um, not minions but um, assistants was was essential to to centering Hurt's narrative. I think it was a well constructed film, and I think that uh, visually it was it was perfect. Um, Extra was a total and complete mess, start to finish. <laughs> Uh, I, it was, it was, it was, it was a train wreck of a movie. Uh, nothing was the way it should have been. Um, that having been said, I think that, that the movie that to pair with the brood is extra, uh, just strictly from, um, we're going to go into this drive in and watch two movies. Uh, the 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 first film is um, this slow burn 
um, serious movie about a, a a father, and then pairing it with this completely off the wall, exploitative, crass uh, abomination, also about. Uh, the love of a father to me works thematically. Um, what? <laughs> but but that said, if I had to recommend a movie for anybody listening to this podcast to watch tonight, it is definitely Altered States. So wait a second, so, what's the fucking double feature no, then? So what, dude? It. So what do you? So you think it should be Altered States? No, no, no. I'm no, saying, he's I'm saying, saying it should be fucking. I'm extra. saying I'm saying that the double feature is. Is brood extra? God damn it! But, but the movie, the movie that you all should watch is one hundred percent. Yes, is Altered States. Look, I gotta tell I, you, I Chris, that, I I am completely gobsmacked. Man, what the fuck, man? Come on, son of a bitch! <laughs> well, I got to fucking do to get a goddamn movie picked here, man. That's it. I'm done. I quit. Taking this off. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm leaving. That's it. God damn it. Hey, kiss my fucking ass. I've been too much time watching all these goddamn movies. Fuck you. Some bitch. Uh, I think I think we lost Chris. How much? Well, okay. I um, legit, legit surprised by that. Okay, cool. So. What do we think we need to call this, Chris? What do we think this needs to be as our as our uh, a double feature that's going to go on the bill? Are you going to sit there and pout? What are you doing? All right, I'm not here anymore. Here's the deal. I think that this should be then a nuclear family meltdown double feature. I think the word daddy needs to go in there somewhere. <laughs> you said that earlier too, Chris. All right, we're going to look, we're going to call it a nuclear family meltdown double feature featuring Daddy the, knows shit. Featuring the brood and extra. And I'm telling you, that's going to be a fucking wild experience. I think it's going to be a wild experience as well. I got I got to say though, uh Chris, please don't don't feel uh don't feel bad, because easily uh, altered states is is the is the cinematic experience of the three. Yeah. All right, guys, this was a lot of fun. Um, Rob, what else? Is, up what's up until with you, the man? End. What's up with you? What's going on? How you been? I've been great. Yeah, like, I know you just finished the, just, fringe the Fringe Festival. Yeah, Tampa International Fringe Festival. By the time this drops, by the time, yeah, months, be, yeah but, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where can no. people find you? Um, all over the place. I tell you what, we'll, we'll we'll circle back around to that question in a couple months. There we go. There okay, go. I like yeah. to hear it. Yeah, when when I come back and I, and I pick Chris's movie next. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> well, listen, man, Chris it was great is going to pull out all the stops. It was great having you back again. It's been it a long time. It was too long. Man. Honestly, yeah. even just uh, just seeing you again, it was like oh, I was, was I was, was so bright and just seeing you walk through I, the door tonight. I, I felt the love and I and I feel the love still. Well, thanks so much for being here, dude. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I guess that wraps up another episode of Dead City Driving. Again, I'd like to thank our guest, Rob Lee. Thank you. And once again, I am Brandon Windish. And I'm Chris Holcomb. And remember, at this drive-in, if the cars are rocking, it doesn't mean somebody's fucking. They're probably getting murdered. 
because they picked the wrong movie. Oh, shit. <laughs> Want to have words with the management? Email us at deadcitydrivein at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future episode. And hey, why not rate and review Dead City Drive-In on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show, keep the admission free, and splatter just the right amount of slime and sleaze onto our mutant-friendly drive-in screen. Under 17, not admitted without parent.